106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. Award-winning Hollywood director Spike Lee called President Trump a racist on CNN last night. Talking to Anderson Cooper about the New York Times 1619 project, Lee said, and I quote, why are we still asking if this guy is a white supremacist? It's not even a question anymore. Watch. Respectfully, why are we still asking, is this guy a white supremacist? I mean, like. To you, that is a. It's not even a question anymore. I mean, the Muslim man, all Mexicans are rapists, murderers, drug dealers. I mean, it, it, it's the what. Let me rephrase the way that I introduced this final point. Award-winning Hollywood director Spike Lee called President Trump racist for reasons that are all false. If you're going to call somebody a racist, you should at least get your facts straight. Here are the facts. There never was a Muslim ban implemented into law. What you're talking about is the travel ban, which prohibited travel from seven nations, Iran, Syria, Yemen, Libya, Somalia, Venezuela, and North Korea. Guess what those countries have in common? Terrorism. All these nations fund and export terrorism. The ban is not about religion. North Korea is not Muslim, yet they are on the travel ban. Venezuela is not Muslim, yet they are on the travel ban too. In fact, the six countries with the largest Muslim populations in the entire world, Indonesia, Pakistan, India, Bangladesh, Nigeria, and Egypt, aren't on the travel ban list. The travel ban doesn't impact 85% of the world's Muslims. So if it is a Muslim ban, it's a pretty bad one. President Trump also never said all Mexicans are rapists, murderers, or drug dealers. You can listen to the video for yourself and hear what the president actually said. The president said some of the people coming illegally into the United States from Mexico are bringing crime and drugs, and some are rapists. And the president said some are good people. All of that is factually true. There are gang members who come here. There are drug traffickers who come here. There are, tragically, rapists who come here too. But even PolitiFact debunked the lie that Trump called all Mexicans rapists. It never happened. After Charlottesville, President Trump did not call neo-Nazis very fine people either. President Trump said there were fine people on both sides of the debate on Confederate statues, and that is true. And in the same sentence, President Trump said, and I quote here, I'm not talking about the neo-Nazis and white nationalists because they should be condemned totally, end quote. Finally, our country wasn't built on the genocide of native people. Christopher Columbus did not run concentration camps or commit mass executions. That is simply historically false. 95% of the 20 million Native Americans in North America who died within the 200 years after Columbus arrived died from disease, not genocide. The native people did not have immunities to European diseases, so they died. And yes, that's tragic, but that's not genocide. Now, everybody is entitled to their own stupid opinion, so you don't have to like President Trump if you don't want to, but at least get your facts straight and don't lie about it and stop trying to rewrite history. And that is my final point.
and you're listening to Lou Benninger. This is our 21st episode, and uh, this is going to be on the air on the 24th. So uh, thank you for listening. Not sure how you got to us, but we're happy you're here. And we're going to be talking for about two hours and uh, 20 minutes or so. Uh, I want to talk about, first thing today, I want to talk about something you may have heard about, but I want to talk about the Woolman Ice Skating Rink in New York and contrast it to a, a little situation we have going on here in our area called the Ellis Lake uh, Water Problem. Back before uh, President Trump ran for office, uh, he ended up, uh, there was a story about him fixing an ice skating rink in New York. And it sort of was a predictor of him doing some amazing things. that other people didn't seem to have the ability to pull off. And so, <clears throat> let me just give you a little setting. The, there, there's a place called the Woolman, W-O-L-L-M-A-N, ice skating rink. Uh, that is in Central Park, New York. If you haven't been there, you may have seen, seen it on television uh, and, or in movies. They, they've shot many movie shots there. It's a beautiful place. You can look it up on the internet and see it. And uh, so what happened is, uh, like a lot of things run by government, uh, it it all succeeds or fails based upon leadership. And uh, the the woman family uh, donated the money to put this rink together. And Kate Woolman was the great aunt of a couple people you've probably heard of, Henry and Richard Block, B-L-O-C-H, or, or H&R Block, the tax people. But she contributed money, um, $600,000 for the rink's construction originally. But in, in 1974, the New York Parks and Recreation Department started planning a renovation of the rink including switching the refrigeration system from brine water to liquid freon to lower the operation costs. Uh, Because of the rising fuel costs and the inability of the city to pay for it, in 1975, January, there was a $4 million plan to renovate Woolman Rink at the uh, park's southeastern corner. Uh, But by late 1975, a year later, the Central Park Task Force Uh, that you can just smell the government on this, a task force, an agency of the New York City Parks released a revised plan to dredge a pond and redesign the landscaping and that added $2.5 million. And uh, so then uh, the rink closed in 1980 when its concrete floor buckled. At that time, the renovation was estimated uh, to cost up to $4.9 million and take two more years. Due to the necessity of uh, soliciting bids for three separate contracts and a series of planning errors, uh, construction mishaps, and flooding caused by heavy rains, the renovations had not been completed by May of 1986. So we started off in 1975 actually 74 and now we're 12 years later in 1986 may of 86 
And during that time, there had been a downturn in the economy in New York, and the uh, so that cut, they couldn't they couldn't fund it, right? So twelve years go by, and uh, they had spent twelve point nine million dollars working on it, with an additional two to three million estimated to complete the work by the winter of nineteen eighty seven. So a guy named Donald Trump developer in New York had watched this go on from 1974 to 1987. And so he made a uh, pitch to the uh, mayor of, of New York at that time, Mayor Ed Koch, uh, to rebuild Woolman Rink at his expense. Uh, and he would do it in six months, completely, completely build the rink, which had been abandoned now for 12 years. And in return, uh, he would get the leases to operate the rink, which included, you know, the, the payment you pay to go skate there. And then there were also concessions and food and drink and an adjacent restaurant. And he would then recoup his costs. In other words, he would pay to, to fix this up, and he would recoup his costs. And then any additional monies <clears throat> would be donated. So... Uh, so he hired uh, contractors, among them HRH Construction, and he asked them to do the work without making a profit, uh, promising them publicity. And uh, the work actually, uh, once they started, was completed two months ahead of schedule and $750,000 under the estimated cost. <clears throat> and <clears throat> as part of the agreement, uh, Trump would get to keep operating Woolman Rink and, uh, and he would, of course, make the concessions, the money out the concessions. But he would use that to op pay for the cost, the electricity, etc. And then any excess would go to uh, charity. So in November 86, uh, the, the rink opened up. And ticket prices were raised from 250 to 450. You'd think that cut down on the response, right? But 450 in 1986 wasn't that bad to go ice skating. And uh, but what what happened was the attendance actually doubled from 130,000 in 1980 to 250,000 in 1987. Uh, as part of the agreement with, with the city, Trump donated most of the profit to public works, including 50000 for the rink's electricity costs, and to charity, among them, United Cere Cerebral Palsy, Partnership for the Homeless, and the Gay Men's Health Crisis. Now, the other day, I was watching on, uh, <clears throat> on Facebook, there was a live broadcast of uh, President Trump speaking uh, I don't know if it was Minnesota, somewhere around the country, and uh, speaking to a large crowd. And during that speech, it was about an hour or so long, he made a comment that, that he has been told that we were near a solution to the AIDS crisis. And I think probably a lot of people, particularly liberals, just thought he was blowing smoke, and he really probably doesn't care uh, they probably, you know, they've not only called Trump a racist, but a homophobe and all kinds of names, right? Uh, and probably thought he was just throwing things out like candidates do to get, uh, to get some traction for their election. 
effort, right? Get some donations, get some votes, etc. But here, all the way back uh, to the 1980s, uh, Trump was donated to the gay men's health crisis in New York City. That uh, to me, that shows a lot. Now, Trump uh, will never get any credibility for anything he's doing. So uh, I've just accepted that. It doesn't matter whether he donates all of his salary, $100,000 a quarter, to uh, different, out, different departments of the government, <clears throat> or whether he donates to, to public works to improve the city, or gay men's health crisis, or the homeless, or the cerebral palsy group. It's just like, well, he's rich, and nothing he gives will ever be credited to him because he's rich. So uh, anyway, I want to uh, mention that, that here government had tried for uh, many years from 1974 to 1986 to get this park uh, repaired. Finally, they had to close it down after 1980, and, uh, and it took a private individual to come in and put it back together. Now, I want to contrast first with a with a park that uh, most people would uh, locally hear. Uh, we're up in Yuba County in Northern California. We're we, uh, in Marysville, where I'm broadcasting from, recording from. Uh, we, we are uh, right in the middle of two rivers that meet together and go down and flow into the Sacramento River, then go into the, the uh, San Francisco Bay. So we, we're separated. Uh, we have on each side Yuba River, Feather River, and between the two cities of Marysville and Yuba City, the Feather River flows through, and a park they call Riverfront Park. And many years ago, there was a soccer enthusiast coach named Leonard Marks, or Len Marks, Dr. Leonard Marks. He, he still is a pediatrician in the area for many decades. He served the community here so well as a pediatrician, but he was a, a became enthusiastic about soccer, learned the game, became a coach and a coach's coach, and then eventually coached the high school, Marysville High School. <clears throat> but we always kind of had to patch together places for the, uh, the, the youth to play, a couple thousand youth to find a play. They had parks and, and fields here and there and everywhere. So Lynn Marks uh, came up with the idea of taking the river bottoms uh, along the Feather River between the two uh, cities, Marysville and Yuba City, which is, I don't know, lots of acreage, and to uh, build that into a soccer complex. And uh, so he did all the work. He got the plans drawn. He arranged with churches, uh, service clubs, operating engineers, unions, to come in and level that ground, take out all the garbage, all the trash, all the bushes, level it, put in streets, uh, put in uh, pumping mechanisms to pump out of the Feather River for the irrigation, put in bathrooms, and lo and behold, for many years now, two to 3,000 young people have been able to play soccer uh, in that riverfront park. Now, I bring that up because it took uh, a private individual, I don't think government would have ever put in that size of a soccer complex, which still can expand, uh, it's a beautiful complex, and it's served thousands and thousands of our young people and been a really great source of recreation for our young people, safe down there, uh, all, all in one place. You can go down there and watch all your kids play on various fields. 
So that's Landmarks, and that was done uh, many years ago. I can't even guess, maybe the early 1990s, but I, I, I helped on it, but I can't recall the exact date. Doesn't really make any difference. So, but in the early 1900s, there was a guy named W.T. Ellis Jr., and out the back door of his house at 8th and uh, C Street, uh, or 8th and D, 8th and, it's along 8th Street that the Ellis family lived, and out the back door during the rainy parts of the year, there was a slough uh, that would fill up, and he would take a boat and go out and, and fish and hunt ducks on it, right in the center of Marysville, because it was very rural back then. And eventually he got the idea of, of making that into a, a lake. So he began to buy up property at very cheap prices surrounding the slough area. And when the recession hit in the 1920s, uh, there was a uh, WPA, uh, the uh, FDR, Roosevelt, President Roosevelt, came up with this idea of putting men, men and women to work with the... Uh, what they call the WPA. It was a project where they'd put men to work and they would do infrastructure improvements. So they built Ellis Lake. And um, one, of the, one of the big pushers of the idea of the lake was a local women's club that began to advocate to make the slough into a lake. It was a mosquito haven. It was a mess. So since that time, the primary source of, of water to that Ellis Lake area beginning in the early 1900s. In fact, you can see articles all the way back to 1903 and the Appeal Democrat uh, lady did some research here recently. And all the way back to 1903, you can see where, El where Yuba River water was the source of water coming into the lake as opposed to drain water or rain water or that they were bringing water Yuba River water, which comes from uh, snow melting in the Sierra Nevada mountain range, they would bring it by ditch and flume, F-L-U-M-E, and you can see some flumes as you go up in the Sierra Nevada mountain range to today moving water around. Uh, they would bring it into Ellis Lake. And so then it would flow out the north end of the lake into what they call Jack Slough, and then over into the Feather River and go down into the Delta. So uh, for years, uh, the Yuba River water was the source of a clean water source to uh, serve Ellis Lake. So when the WPA took on Ellis Lake to dig it out, dredge it out, make it a big lake with uh, cobblestone banks and sidewalks and islands and a beautiful thing, uh, people uh, that remember those times and are old enough to remember those times remember the lake as being clean and not murky, not, not green, but blue, clean, clear, and you could actually swim in the lake if you wanted to. Over the years, and they say maybe about 2010 or so, a well was drilled, and the, the idea of pumping from the Yuba River was abandoned, and they thought, oh, we'll just pump water right out of the ground, because there's a big aquifer under the city of Marysville that just doesn't take very far down to even hit the aquifer, you get lots of water. So they began to just, they brought water uh, from underground. The problem with bringing uh, water underground mysteriously, but I'm sure scientists understand it, water people understand it clearly, we have very hard water in our area of California right here. And so in Marysville, we have well water. It's clean, it's, it's good water, 
but if, if you notice around your faucets, uh, uh, minerals build up around your faucets and you need to remove it eventually with uh, something like uh, vinegar. So that, the, when they pumped water into Ellis Lake to refresh it with fresh water, uh, as opposed to Yuba Yuba River water, the pumped water had lots of minerals in it, and algae actually feeds on minerals. Algae is an organism that actually feeds on minerals. I didn't know that. And the more algae you have, the greener and murkier and cloudier uh, and messier the lake and stinkier the lake becomes. And so over the years, uh, the city of Marysville's fallen on hard times financially, and they've had a hard time even running the pump. And typical of government, uh, they are very uh, inefficient. So when Dale Whitmore, who was a biologist in his, in his training, but worked for the Department of Fish and Wildlife, they call it today, instead of Fish and Game, he came in as a city councilman and began to ask, hey, how come you don't run the pump more? Oh, well, at the PG&E, the utility costs are high, and he says, well, why don't you run it at night? He said, well, we can't run it at night because no one works at night. He said, well, uh, there's such a thing as a timer. It costs maybe $20. Why don't we hook a timer on it so in the middle of the night when, when utility costs are very low, the demand's low, we could run it at night. So you can see the inefficiency and incompetence of government where a guy like Dale Whitmore, at least at that time, they weren't even running the pump to bring in the well water, which the algae loved because they were eating the minerals. So recently, uh, Charlie Matthews and now uh, Dale Whitmore, who has stepped off the, the city council after two terms, eight years, Charlie Matthews, who was a rice farmer, uh, suggested, hey, he said, I will put in $10,000. Dale said, I'll put in, in $1,500, and there's a pump down by the Uber River that's still there, and the pipe runs over the levee, and we can begin pumping fresh, clean snow, snow melt water that has very low in minerals, and we can begin cleaning up the lake, and we'll pump uh, tw like 20, more than 20 days, uh, or 22 days out of the month, or something like that. Uh, so anyway, in the meantime, the city of Marysville had hired a group called EKI, which is an environment, uh, environmental group. It's called EKI Environment and Water, and they hired them to, uh, at a price of about $144,144, they hired them to study the lake. In the meantime, all this is going on. Matthews has got his idea with Whitmore, and, and uh, the, because the uh, California Department of Water Resources fined the city of Marysville over $3 million for not sending in 11 quarterly reports on their sewage plant, um, in negotiation they said, well, we're going to, we'll reduce it to $288,288 uh, and you can pay us half that, and you could pay us the rest, you could pay the other half uh, for some sort of an environmental fix in your backyard. So they chose Ellis Lake, and they hired EKI Engineering Company, Environment and Water, to come in and see what it would take to, to fix the lake. And so they began developing the lake, uh, or not developing the lake, but studying the lake, and they came up with this amazing idea of putting these aerators, 25 aerators uh, attached to the bottom of the lake 
that then would would have a compressors pump uh, I suppose it, it's aeration so they're going to pump air and stir up the lake and pump it and uh, and all these bubbling situations throughout the lake and at the meantime uh, they agree with the Matthews and Whit uh, and Whitmore that uh, the pumping groundwater is not such a great idea but in the proposal that they presented to the city council recently they were very negative about pumping Yuba River water but they really you can tell they didn't do the proper research or get the facts on it because they were really tentative in the wording when you use wording if you're proposing something in life say you're you're making a bid on something or you're suggesting you're going to fix something and you start using words like may and might and could uh, the chances of you uh, pulling you know you don't you're unsure of what you're saying right if you say well it may happen or it might happen and it could happen so in the sheet where they discount using Yuba River water this EKI group which is uh, agreed to spend up to $144,000 for their expertise they said ah it's it's a waste of time now the and they said it's very very expensive and it's going to be oh you to get government permits is really a big problem and so as I read through the report I thought this is ridiculous it's it's actually just the opposite they're offering to put 25 aerators that are going to be powered by these major compressors and uh, they're going to uh, spend six hundred thousand dollars and like forty five thousand dollars a year in in, uh, in maintenance operating costs and maintenance that's where the big expense is the the cost of hooking up the pump uh, Matthews and Whitmore are taking care of pump from the Yuba River and then the monthly cost over the whole year total or ten to fifteen thousand dollars according to Charlie Matthews total ten to fifteen thousand instead of forty five thousand and the get started cost is like what Charlie Matthews is donating no cost to the city whereas the uh, EKI uh, is going to uh, charge six hundred thousand dollars amazing huh and and so anyway that's that's what came up to city council recently and uh, Bill Simmons interestingly enough the guy who proposed this Bill Simmons who's been on the council I think it's the second term now he's also been a Yuba County supervisor but in a, there was another project right near the uh, Riverfront Park uh, soccer fields that Lynn Marks put together there was a boat a highly used boat ramp there was a great boat ramp uh, into the Yuba River the fishermen and and all kinds of water recreation boating uh, jet skis the whole thing you could just easily get into the Yuba River right there and they put a lot of money into the boat ramp but be, like a lot of things in the city of Marysville it was neglected it, it was the inlet that the boats would drop into was filled in with silt uh, through just uh, uh, Wear, wear and tear and, and high water and, st and such and the whole boat ramp was just allowed to fall into disrepair so Chris Pettigo a city councilman and Bill Simmons began to talk to the, the state to get permits fish and wildlife to get permits water resources to get permits get permits to dredge the river which is no small thing and then clean up and put the whole thing back together so they cabbage together 
a number of uh, entities, including private business that worked pro bono. Sounds like a Donald Trump operation, doesn't it? They got together the uh, National Guard who needed needed some practice uh, backhoeing and, and moving fill, so they moved all the dirt. And they got the dredge, Nordic Construction provided the dredge to dredge out the lake, or dredge out the inlet, and they, they eventually got the, the entire project done for hardly any out, out, and Yuba County also provided a big, what they call a bladder, to keep the refuse from slipping out into the river, polluting the river. So anyway, it was, it was a cooperative effort, and they put this, uh, so Simmons put this, and Pedigo put this uh, project back together, and now people can use the boat ramp right next to where Lindmarks put the soccer fields. So now Simmons believes that with the cooperation of Charlie Matthews and another agency in the area that's been here for 50 years, the Yuba Water Agency, uh, they could actually deliver fresh water into the, uh, the Ellis Lake, not utilize any aerators, uh, possibly, at least we could try and see how it cleaned it up, right? Bring plenty of fresh water in. They, they propose provide, turning off the uh, pump that pumps mineral water, high mineral water, and just pump river water through the month of September at Charlie Matthews picking up the cost and Mr. Whitmore picking up the cost, Dale Whitmore, and to see if it actually would work. And uh, as the water would flow from the south into the lake and then flow out the north, into Jack Slough and over to uh, the Feather River. Now the interesting thing is the Yuba County is blessed with a huge number of lakes. A few of them camp far west. It's a man-made, they're all man-made. Camp far west, Englebright Dam, uh, Merle Collins or Collins Lake, Merle Collins Reservoir, Collins Lake, Bullard's Bar Dam, Lake Francis, uh, I don't know whether the uh, Sly, Sly Creek Reservoir is located in Yuba or the next county over, but these are all man-made uh, affairs, and none of them employ aerators. They, what they have is fresh uh, snowmelt water coming into them, and then they have an outlet into a stream or a river, and they're all clear, and they, and they can all, uh, and so people fish, Ski, swim, do whatever you want to do. They call it contact recreation in the, in the engineering field. And so with this new $600,000 aeration system, what I call is a Frankenstein model, at the end of it, we will not even be able to have contact recreation or commonly called swimming in Ellis Lake. So uh, I wanted to mention that. I'm going to end right here. I'm kind of got my timing goofed up because I couldn't get my uh, the sound on my earphones fixed. So I'm going to take a break here, and I'm going to uh, play you a couple clips. Uh, one's a Save California Minute by Randy Thomason talking about government-controlled schools, and then another school's clip that if you're sending your kids to college, should just scare the hell out of you. So I'll be right back.
Just how good are government-controlled schools? I'm Randy Thomason with your SaveCalifornia.com Minute. Are you okay with 70% of children not being proficient in reading, writing, and math? Those are the abysmal scores in California public schools. Even at so-called good schools, the scores aren't so good. Why? Because California government schools are controlled by the state government, which is controlled by the ruling Democrat politicians, which are controlled by the teacher union bosses. So children aren't being viewed as precious boys and girls who deserve rigorous academics and character education. Instead, the teacher unions selfishly see kids as dollar signs to gain money and power and to shape liberal voters. Please rescue your child while you still can. See how at SaveCalifornia.com. Fighting the good fight for your values in California. Partnerships with Planned Parenthood, queering the Bible, and segregation on campus? We're counting down some of the most insane efforts of indoctrination on college campuses as we search for sanity that could save the next generation of Americans. 5. North Dakota State University paid over $165,000 to Planned Parenthood during the year 2018 in order to host safe spaces, sex education workshops in K-12 schools. Yes, you heard that right. A public university teamed up with the nation's largest abortion chain to teach little children about sex starting in kindergarten. Four. Virginia Tech University is actually offering segregated graduation ceremonies. That means that they want black students, Native American students, and LGBT students to graduate separately from straight white students. Haven't we seen this before? This sounds pretty regressive, not progressive. Three, if you're an incoming freshman at the University of Texas at Austin, beware. A student group called the Autonomous Student Network has threatened to dox students who consider joining Turning Point USA or the Young Conservatives of Texas during summer orientation. For those who don't know, doxing involves the public posting of someone's personal information, like their phone number, email, or address online. Two. Students at George Washington University voted to get rid of the Colonials mascot because the word Colonial is supposedly received as extremely offensive. Apparently, the word Colonial glorifies systemic oppression. Don't ask students what that means because they really don't know, but it sounds pretty bad. 1. Swarthmore College in Pennsylvania is offering courses titled Queering God and Queering the Bible. I didn't even realize queer was a verb. The classes explore the gender identity of God and provide a feminist and queer perspective of the Bible. Thankfully, there are colleges still committed to true education and exposing young adults to all ideas, even those that might potentially be offensive. Today, we say good for you to the University of Colorado. The University of Colorado Board of Regents is giving all incoming students a letter expressing the university's commitment to free speech and expression. It's great to see a university stand for intellectual diversity. In search of sanity, I'm Isabel Brown for Prager University.
clips. All right. I was shocked uh, when that young girl talked about in search of sanity and talking about the crazy things going on the college campuses. And I, I have an article we'll try to get to. I don't know. We may run out of time, and we may have to push it to next week about the college campuses and how poorly uh, there's an organization that actually grades the comp college campuses. And uh, a lot of them are getting Fs. It's it's shocking. Uh, I was mentioning to a teenager that's going, starting at uh, Yuba College, and uh, she's going to be a freshman there. And uh, I said, uh, the colleges today are nothing like they were when I went to school. And uh, the they actually could get a good education. She said, oh, I, I don't believe that. I said, oh. Well, uh, you have no idea, but I do. I've, I've been through it, and I know what they're teaching today. So uh, let me finish up with the, uh, the, the Woolman Ice Rink, the Lindmark Soccer Fields, and now the fiasco at W.T. Ellis Lake. So what we have here now is a city council. Uh, Bill Simmons, as I mentioned, was instrumental with Chris Pedigo in developing, redeveloping, or re, re uh remodeling the boat ramp uh and people say oh well you can't get those state water permits it's impossible you can't dredge you can't do this can't 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 well they did it all so now we got people like john nicoletti who doesn't want who doesn't want charlie uh matthews to succeed at anything because he wants his spot on the uh water board the uh yuba water agency board uh, and so he's doing everything he can to dissuade everybody that it's just impossible. That it's just like we, it's like building a castle to the sky. We just can't do it. And uh, whereas it's really a very simple fix from the business standpoint, but John's really never been in a successful business uh, where he's made something work like Charlie has. Charlie is a not only a, he's an international businessman and rice farmer. Uh, and rice dryer operator, been very successful with his family over many decades. He knows more about pumps than the average pump guy, and he knows much more than EKI does about pumping. That's why he was able to see the flaws in their proposal uh, that tried to dissuade the council from pumping water from the Yuba River, which is not a complicated feat. So anyway... Um, the, Bill Simmons brought the issue to re received uh, the the goodwill and benevolent gesture of Matthews and Whitmore, and uh, he could not get anybody on the city council, the other four members, to uh, make a motion to move forward. So it died. So who knows where it's going to go from here? What we do know is the the county cannot afford to pay 600 or the city cannot afford to pay six hundred thousand dollars it would be a pitiful thing they think they're going to go to the yuba water agency which has lots of money they think that they'll just pay for anything even if it's a stupid idea i don't think anybody wants i can imagine i don't think i'm gonna live long enough to see it but if you put aerators at the bottom of ellis lake I can guarantee you at some point nobody's going to be able to fund the running of those aerators or if they break and they'll just be down there and become another along with all the cars that run off in there and bicycles that are thrown in there and gradu that are thrown in there. 
uh, they'll just be another contraption at the bottom of the lake with huge compressors sitting around that are going to run night and day. Uh, now, the other thing that I failed to mention that I should bring up is the fact that uh, the uh, Matthew says that uh, if the city council approves this plan and the water approves to clean up the lake, they propose to drain the lake completely, remove all the fish, because some of the fish, the type of fish in there you don't want anymore, clean it up, muck out all the gradu, and by with the pumping volume coming out of the Yuba River, they can refill the entire lake. Now, if you have a swimming pool, this will get your attention because you know how long it takes to fill up a swimming pool. Uh, your, or how long it took to fill your swimming pool up, or if you've ever had to drain it to clean it up, maybe it's a, if, it, if it was algae-ridden. <clears throat> Remember how you'd have to treat it with chlorine and all kinds of anti-algae stuff? Bill Simmons says that they have to treat, if, if this aeration system has a problem, one treatment of the lake to kill the algae, to knock it back, is $22,000. He said there's no budget for $22,000. There's no money to fund this fiasco that EKI has proposed. <clears throat> and they're thinking, I know what they're thinking, that somehow Yuba Water Agency is going to take over and, and dump millions of dollars in that lake. And I think that's a crime if they do that. So uh, hopefully uh, saner minds will prevail and they will, uh, they will move on and, and, clean, and give the uh, pumping out of the Yuba River. By the way, Marysville has water rights. Pre-1914 water rights, which that's significant in the water business. And um, if they do not use those water rights any longer, if they quit using them, which they've already quit for a number of years, if they don't start them back up and they don't start pumping again, they will lose their water rights, which is worth millions and millions of dollars. In other words, no one is charging them to pump out of the, out of the river. They just have a utility charge, right? Okay, so that's enough on that. I'm going to move on and talk about uh, liability and schools. Uh, the other day, I was uh, reading on Breitbart. It was actually, it was all over the internet. And I, I'm just shocked at this. A North Carolina, a North Carolina school secretary, kind of like an office manager, is accused of sending nude photos to a student using Snapchat and text messaging. Her name's Lee Perkins Green, 51. There's a photo of the gal here. Honestly, she's not not even that 51. She's not even attractive. I mean, she's okay, but I mean, attractive to uh, a middle-aged, you know, a middle schooler. So anyway, uh, she got multiple charges, including attempted indecent liberties with a child by a school professional other than a teacher. An indictment states that Green tried to take indecent liberties with one of her students at Patton High School. Uh, so he was a high schooler. I think there's another one here I'm going to tell you. There's a middle schooler. Uh, Patton High School, while she worked there as a secretary, sending obscene material, so it's pretty gnarly photos. Anyway. Uh, they, they not only fired her, which is amazing. They got a different system than they do in California. This is North Carolina and, uh, they canned her and arrested her and she's in big trouble. The bond for her was 25,000. So, uh, I'm, I'm just, 
nearly every week, if you want to do a search every week uh, around the United States, if you have one of these Nexus programs, and look at sexual uh, improprieties with students, uh, you're going to find a lot. Now, locally, we've had our share. We had a guy at Mary Koval, uh, not Mary Kovalod, but Kayonk School years ago, the school counselor molested like 20 boys, went to prison. Uh, the school was sued crazily. And then uh, we've had other other occasions. We had about a couple of years ago, I think in 2016 or so, we had a 20-some-year-old, 25, 26-year-old teacher begin having sex with one of the T.E. Matthews boys, gang member. Uh, she ended up uh, losing her license, getting fired. I don't know whether she did any time or not, but probably now has a register as a sex registrant. The family sued, uh, sued Yuba County Office of Education, I heard it was $50,000, but I didn't ever see the paperwork. But the problem is, hey, they sued them. They got some money, right? So recently, we had a school teacher at the same school, uh, Yuba County Office of Education, uh, that that uh, taught at Juvenile Hall, and where these kids are all incarcerated. And uh, they never were able to prove that she actually had sex with the... the uh, the underage boy, but there was a boy uh, who was uh, being charged with murder. Uh, as he became 18, he was moved to Yuba County Jail several blocks away. And when she, uh, she began to visit him at Yuba County Jail and ended up marrying him at the jail. That that opened up a, 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 an investigation by the <clears throat> county probation department and the county sheriff's department. The sheriff uh, mentioned to me that that neither party, the boy or the, the 40-some-year-old teacher, was cooperative, so they couldn't press charges. And the teacher was fired, <clears throat> and uh, and later, uh, I guess she filed for divorce. I don't know. She probably didn't realize all this was going to happen. I don't know. Just this last week, I heard that uh, uh, a worker in the cafeteria, <clears throat> in, the, in the kitchen at Juvenile Hall, was having sex with juvenile uh Inmates at the juvenile hall <clears throat> located in Marysville. It's a tri-county juvenile hall serving Calusa, Yuba, and Sutter counties. So why is this significant? It's significant uh, for a number of reasons. Is that there uh, there is a lax attitude uh, about these issues, and uh, the teachers union throughout the state of California. I'll just speak about California. The, the improprieties are happening throughout the United States. But different uh, school districts handle and different states handle these things differently and, and are much more strict and uh, they're much more aggressive at rooting the problem out. Because of the strong union control over our schools in California, uh, you can be a child molester and get away with it over the years and and get a slap on the hand, get a slap on the hand, get a slap on the hand, get written up, get written up, get written up until finally the crap hits the fan and lawsuits are filed and then uh, terrible things begin to happen. So there's an article uh, by Lillian. Actually, she wrote a book, Lillian Van Viet. She's senior vice president, educational entities, practice leader for Alliant or Alliant. A L L I A N T. That's a uh, that's an insurer, a school insurer, 
and maybe other they their insurance company Alliant or Alient. She spent more than three decades insuring schools across the country. Her book, she wrote a book that spans from the small school district in Maine that that only has two students to Oakland Unified School District and Long Beach Unified School District, which together have nearly 120,000 students. And so she lists in her article five areas of risk and coverage uh, that she said are very important to watch. I was interested in one, and that's the first one she mentions, which is the big one, the most significant. This is a woman with three decades she now is senior vice president of Alliant. She says one of the most significant areas of coverage under pressure is sexual uh, abuse and molestation. In most states where tort caps or immunities for public agencies or school districts are limited, the market is tough. In other words, where uh, there aren't immunities and there's no caps, uh, the market is tough to get insurance. He says, quote, particularly in the western states such as California, Washington, and to some degree Oregon, all three very liberal states, you're seeing significant restrictions on coverages, that's by the insurance companies, for certain types of exposures, the biggest one being sexual molestation. So in other words, if the states aren't going to limit the amount of awards that people can win, or they're not going to say teachers are all immune from these charges, then the insurance companies are going to restrict what they're going to pay. And, and they're going to increase the amount of uh, premiums. So Lillian goes on to say the cost of sexual molestation is becoming quite restrictive for insurance companies, so they're starting to pull back on that line of coverage. In other words, they're starting to say, I don't want to do that, or I'm going to charge you an arm and a leg for very little coverage, right? <clears throat> so she goes on to say, recent jury verdicts have skyrocketed. One recent case, there was an allegation of molestation by a wrestling coach. He molested one child and was found to have been viewing others <clears throat> while they were showering. The jury verdict was $28 million. That's one case of molestation, and then the, the accusation that he was uh, uh, a voyeur, peeping on, looking at people, showering, $28 million. She said the school district had only purchased $25 million <clears throat> in coverage, uh, which at the time was deemed to be acceptable. And and uh, and a good and decent coverage limit for districts. Now in California, according to Van Viet, she recommends that schools carry a minimum of fifty million dollars in coverage. The cost is significant, <clears throat> and even with high limits, carriers are pushing up deductibles. In other words, a deductible for people who aren't familiar with this is how much uh, the school district will have to pay out of its budget to self-insure, so to speak. So they'll have to pay a deductible and then the insurance company pays the rest, right? So in addition to insurance coverage being more costly to buy, she says, districts are also having to take on million-dollar retentions to even have the coverage. In other words, they'll say, okay, we're going to set aside a million dollars of our budget 
in a bond, we'll buy a million dollar bond or whatever, in order to pay the high uh, rates to get our coverage, right? So Van Veech says California is down to only three or four insurance markets willing to write sexual abuse and molestation coverage. Philadelphia, that's the name of insurance company, doesn't like stuff in California anymore. Travelers is out of California. That's another company. Others are limiting the coverage, so they're the only, uh, so they're only able to give you three or four sexual molestation claims, or they're changing the type of coverage, and it's almost all claims made for sexual molestation. So, in other words, uh, uh, there was at the end of this article. Uh, the person wrote in and said, Philadelphia Insurance, they, they actually say, oh, no, 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 we're not pulling out of California. Uh, we're, we're still involved. So, But the bottom line is what Van Viet says, and she's an expert, and she's written a book on it. She said California is uh, going to be a lean and mean market and going to cost a fortune, and we're not going to just cover an uh, in, innumerable number of, mol- a number of molestation cards uh, so she says, uh, claims, they'll do two, three, four claims and, and you're out. We'll shut down. We'll shut down that, that, uh, policy. So let me give you a couple examples. Cause then I'm going to end up talking about a local case. So Los Angeles school district settled, uh, recently a $22 million settlement. And, uh, what happened there was a Los Angeles, uh, a guy named Ronnie Lee Roman, he's a former youth services coach at two elementary schools. Um, he, he's going to pay, they're going to pay $14 million to nine girls who said they were abused by Ronnie Roman. The district will pay another $8 million to seven boys who said they were abused by Jaime Jimenez, a former high school football coach. $22 million right there. Roman is serving 105 years in prison after he was convicted last June of lewd acts on a child. He was found guilty of molesting ch- uh, girls from 8 to 12. It's interesting how aggressive law enforcement is down there in Southern California, right? Uh, hold that thought. $22 million, uh, one, one guy was uh, messing around with boys, uh, football boys, molesting footballers. And the other guy, Ronnie Lee Roman, was um, uh, molesting <clears throat> uh, girls, right? Eight to twelve-year-old girls. Okay, there's one. So that's the, we're just going to talk about California here for a minute because I want to want to show you why we're in the mess we are. L.A. school district settles molestation case for five million. This is another case uh, where Elkis Hermida, another Mexican. Uh, an ex-math teacher, these other guys are all Mexican-Americans, ex-math teacher who taught at Southwest Los Angeles Middle School, where in 2010 he initiated a six-month sexual relationship with a 13-year-old student. Uh, And so they settled that at $5 million. Uh, They actually believe that the district knew what was going on. They did not act appropriately to deal with it. And then we have (coughs) the the backbreaker, and that's the L.A. Unified School District, who I believe is the largest school district in the United States, and it is a mess. They paid out more than $300 million. Can you hold on to that figure? 300, not thousand, million dollars uh, to a variety of claims. Now, this includes the Miramonte Elementary School, 
teacher Mark Berndt, B-E-R-N-D-T, who's now doing prison time, whose crimes occurred over the course of decades before he was finally arrested. They had one red flag after another red flag after another red flag. Nobody would do anything. Other other teachers in that same school were molesting kids. Legal fees, uh, he was finally arrested. Legal fees, in fact, before he was arrested, to get rid of him, they had to pay him off because of the union wouldn't wouldn't get it, get rid of him. They had to pay him off to get him out of the school. I think they paid him off like $25,000. Legal fees brought the payout to around $175 million. That's in addition to an earlier settlement of $30 million in Burnt's case. Uh, there, there were other people. There was another case at Del La Torre and uh, the Telfair st- settlement. So they're different uh, schools, Queen Avenue, Queen Anne Place Elementary School settlement in 2012, $6.9 million for one victim. Portola Middle School settlement from last year, $320,000. Del- uh, let's see, Miramonte settlements, they claim, will total $200 million. That was primarily a school of elementary school kids, uh, primarily of Mexican descent. The Del- De La Torre and Telfair Settlements fifty-eight million and forty million each. Uh, this the entire school district is crashing. So what's going on is that insurance companies are talking to investigators to to try to limit, uh, recommend to school districts what they could do to be more aggressive on purging uh, <clears throat> teachers, uh, coaches, janitors, secretaries. All kinds of people. All these people, I, w- I want you to just think of this, if you've ever heard of this term, man, man, mandated reporter or mandatory reporter. These people under law are all mandated reporters. If they, You do not have to have evidence to be a mandated reporter. You have to report things. You have to, if you hear something, if a child says he touched me, you got to report that. You do not have to investigate it. You have to report that to law enforcement Child Protective Services, and what's going on is the teaching profession thinks they are above the law, and uh, the administrators and the whole bunch of them, they they cover each other's rear ends, no pun intended, and uh, they are protecting the people in their profession at the expense of your children and my grandchildren. Uh, We'll be right back. I'm going to play you a clip. A uh, new new Democrat campaign ad and uh, uh, a stars and stripes rap about occupational licensing. Do you believe occupational licensing is necessary? I don't. So we'll be we'll be right back. person for the Democratic Party, and I'm here to tell you why you need to vote blue this November. Democrats are the party of love and tolerance. 
We promote inclusion and acceptance, peace and goodwill. Republicans don't care about any of these things. They just want to talk about record unemployment, the economy, and keeping communities safe. Fascists. Democrats have positive, practical priorities, like abolishing the Electoral College, eliminating due process, and banning hate speech. These are the values of the American people. Well, at least Americans that live in San Francisco and New York. Republicans often use fear-mongering rhetoric, like constitution or liberty. Democrats condemn such language as divisive and instead focus on more unifying topics like repealing the Second Amendment or kneeling for the national anthem. Democrats are the party of equality, so much so that we insist upon unconditionally believing women and disbelieving men because, well, feminism. If you ask us to explain this logically, we will scream in your face and call you a misogynist. Republicans want to take away a woman's sacred right to choose to have her child decapitated inside the womb and torn apart limb by limb with forceps. Democrats celebrate the right to violently murder your child because we're compassionate. Democrats believe that women are powerful and independent. They are also helpless victims of the patriarchy who require government intervention to succeed. Any woman who disagrees with us on this is a self-hating, stupid bimbo. And you know, it's time someone was finally brave enough to say this. Republicans are racist. Democrats have the same positive message for minorities that we have for women. You're a victim, and you're useful to us. If you disagree, we'll insult your intelligence, but it's for your own good. Republicans want to stop certain people from coming into this country. They cite the infiltration of gang violence or opioids or sex trafficking as reasons to stop illegal immigration. But Democrats accept these as the natural consequences of opening up the borders, which, of course, is the more loving thing to do. Democrats recognize that the key to a better tomorrow is to look forward, not backward. That's why we reject capitalism and all of its greed and instead opt for socialism, which has worked so well every time it's been tried. Democrats are the party of the common people, the poor and the marginalized, the weak and defenseless. While Republicans promise freedom, we promise free stuff. That's how we win over young people. Our goal is to make the government work for you so you don't have to work at all. Republicans are always pushing religion in our faces. We reject their bigotry. Religious people are idiots. Democrats would much rather you sacrifice yourself on the altar of progressivism. The truth is, as the party of empathy, we're just better than everyone else. That's why we spend so much time telling people who don't align with our agenda that they're not just wrong, but that they're bad people. We still haven't figured out that this condescension is what lost us the 2016 election. Nevertheless, we're confident that through censorship, emotional manipulation, and continued bullying that will eventually get our way. Why? Because we care about you. So much so that we're willing to wear you down until you fear getting silenced, doxxed, or fired because you don't agree with our agenda. That's love. I'm the spokesperson for the Democratic Party. Vote for us in November. Well, if you ask me where I come from, here's what I tell everyone. It's a place that is even more free than Jameis Winston's groceries. It's where the stars and stripes and the eagle fly. Start the business of your dreams 
If you pay all of the license fee, I'm literally helping a guy buy a futon. Your kids can go sell lemon juice. Yeah, if their license forms have been approved. That guy's panhandling with the stars and stripes and the eagle fly. And there's a lady that stands in a harbor for what we believe. Overlooking a guy getting arrested for helping sightseeing. It's illegal to show somebody around. You can pull yourself from poverty. All you need's a bit of elbow grease And 1,200 hours of training, 20 grand It's hair braiding And a permission slip from Uncle Sam's Unbelievable We're the stars and stripes And the eagle flies We're the stars and stripes And the eagle flies You tell me All right, welcome back. So we're talking about uh, the tremendous problem we have throughout the United States of sexual abuse in our schools. You send your kids to school. All these people have been trained on how to recognize everything from bullying to sexual abuse, all this stuff. And people have been background checked. But in spite of that, even though if a person's been background checked, you don't know what lurks in their heart, right? If they've never been arrested, they have a clean background check. However, uh, when, when, when children complain or parents complain and there's actually records made of it and nobody does anything, and then years go by, in Mark Burt's case at Miramonte School, decades went by, and I, I, won't, I don't want to take the time, nor do I want to be offensive uh, he just didn't, he didn't do normal sex with these kids. It was bizarre what he did. Little kids. And uh, so they ended up paying out $300 million down there. So we have a situation in the Yuba Sutter area now where Jim Whitaker, uh, who is currently a supervisor uh, in, in Sutter County and was uh, has been in the teaching program, professional, I believe over two decades, but mainly has been known as a, a coach and a PE teacher, health teacher, I think, at uh, Yuba City High for many, a couple decades maybe. And so um, recently, uh, I think it was in January, maybe January 16th or something of 2018, uh, a girl uh, complained about Jim Whitaker and uh without going into all the details, because there's a number of cases here. I don't have time to go to the details. I just want to show you the preponderance of complaints against one person and how nothing was ever done. So the girl complains, and the teacher she complained to did nothing. As a mandated reporter, did nothing. Uh, a guy named Steinman did nothing. Uh, she kept complaining, and eventually <clears throat> uh, it, it surfaced. And it became an issue with the uh, school board. Now, I've been on a school board before. 
I've been on the County Board of Education at Yuba County Office of Education. I was on there three or four terms. It's a serious thing when somebody brings an accusation, uh, and it's also very, very difficult to fire a teacher. It's almost impossible. I used to say you had to rape somebody, but I don't even think if you rape somebody, you necessarily would get fired anymore. It, that's how strong the union is. I always used to say you had to slit somebody's throat or rape somebody to actually get the union to get on your side to fire somebody. I don't believe I don't believe uh, you could pull that off anymore. I, I just I don't have any confidence in the system. It's corrupt. It's evil. It's filthy. Uh, and it's people protecting their own at the expense of children. They say occasionally that they love children. They care for children. I believe there's some wonderful teachers that individually do have a high commitment. Uh, they're highly moral. They're wonderful people. But in general, <clears throat> the system protects the system. And so anyway, in January of 2018, this girl claimed that Jim Whitaker grabbed her buttocks. That's what it says in the complaint. I talked to the attorney for this girl uh, this this last week uh, about this case, and I believe it's coming to uh, uh, another hearing, another step, and the personal injury case will be coming before the Sutter County Court. I believe it's November 8th or so. I have it somewhere, but it doesn't really make any difference to the exact date. But it's it, the next step of the hearing process is coming. And I talked to him this week, and I'll tell you about the details of the conversation in a second. I want to lay some of the, the groundwork here. So th this was an incident in, in January uh, of 2018. It's, it's odd how certain things trigger other things to happen. It's kind of like with the common cliche has been the perfect storm. Like what, what brings, what kind of environmental elements come together to bring up the perfect storm. This is kind of a perfect storm where women... Uh, girls and women, girls, when I say girls, I mean high school age, and women, uh, mothers, uh, professional women uh, in their 30s, 40s, now have now come forward as a result of this girl, and we're just fed up with it. And they began to bring accusations uh, against Jim Whitaker that were as far back as 1993, 1994, 19. So I'm just going to read them out of this. This is at, right out of the complaint to the Sutter County court, the lawsuit that's been filed, as early as the Paul Matesiak says, as early as 1993, uh, defendant Whitaker uh, used his position of authority to <clears throat> physically and sexually batter minor students at Yuba City High. Known instances of Whitaker's separate acts of physical and or sexual abuse <clears throat> at Yuba High include, but are not limited to the following. <clears throat> uh, so 1993, I'm just going to state victim assaulted by Whitaker. 1994-95, victim assaulted by Whitaker. 1997, victim assaulted by Whitaker. These are different victims. 1997, victim assaulted and treated in, in sexually inappropriate manner on two different occasions by Whitaker. Uh, Whitaker rubbed the victim's breast while she was working as a teaching assistant for Whitaker's boys basketball class and number two when another student pinned the victim up against the wall gave her a hickey while Whitaker watched and laughed 1998 victim assaulted multiple times by Whitaker when victim was upset about an unrelated incident Whitaker feigned empathy and reached out to victim ostensibly to cover, comfort her but instead groped her breasts 
Two and three, uh, another occasions when Whitaker asked the victim to approach him, having already been assaulted. Once the victim approached him with her hands covering her chest, causing Whitaker to put his hand around her wrist and pulled it away from her body while touching her breast once again. 1998, again, victim was another victim was grabbed by Whitaker in the buttocks outside the gym. 1999, victim, a cheerleader at Yuba, Yuba City High, uh, was talking with Whitaker during her freshman year when Whitaker inexplicably began to repeatedly rub the side of her torso down to her hip. 1998 and 2001, victim assaulted by Whitaker. 2002, again, Whitaker. 2003, assaulted by Whitaker. 2013, victim asked Whitaker if, anyway, there was a, a whole issue. Uh, he roughly handled her. She had a fractured collarbone. Anyway, uh, she complained that he roughed her up. Okay. <clears throat> and, um, uh, 2014, a group of victims felt uncomfortable having Whitaker as our physical education teacher as he would do inappropriate things such as force him to do solo sets of jumping jacks in front of him. One of the girls received messages from Whitaker in which he indicated that he was interested in her and had her do weird things, quote-unquote. 2014, Whitaker inappropriately videotaped a female student's buttocks and her body from the waist down. No later then 1998 and possibly earlier administrators at Yuba High and the district uh, uh, hold on I got distracted there no later in 19 than 1998 and possibly earlier administrators at Yuba City High and the district knew about Whitaker's inappropriate and abusive behavior And then it says a, 19, a 1998 report prepared by the district concluded that Whitaker violated the district's sexual harassment policy after Whitaker visited a fellow employee's home uninvited, was sexually aroused, and he gave her a hug and ran his hands down her sides, touching her breasts in the process. In fact, Willie Wong, the superintendent at the time, sent a letter of reprimand to Whitaker. The letter stated that Whitaker was in violation of board policy, informed Whitaker that he must refrain from any unwarranted or unwelcome physical contact with students and, and employees. Wong wrote, I recommend that you express your feelings toward others in a manner that which is more acceptable, such as verbally, and that you avoid physical contact. With respect to the first set of 1998 incidents detailed in a subpart E above, the victim promptly and appropriately submitted a complaint to Willie Wong. On November 19, 2018, the victim received a response from Wong. Uh, I think that date is probably wrong. It's probably 1998 instead of 2018, which stated that Brian uh, Sevier, director of personnel, completed his investigation of the victim's claims. Sevier concluded and Wong con concurred that Whitaker's actions toward the victim were inappropriate and in violation of district policy. Uh, there is no indication that any personnel action was done. Now, that's common through these complaints that they would they would concur that something happened, that, that they somebody got violated, but then they said, we're going to deal with it. But there was nothing in the file that anything was ever done. Uh, with respect to the second 1998 incident uh, detailing detailed above, the victim promptly submitted a signed statement in 1998 
to Yuba City High School regarding the incident. No known action was taken by the district as a result of the statement. Uh, the victim of the 2013 battery uh, in- incident submitted a police report to campus officer Ortega. This actually spelled Ortega, but I, I used to know him as Ortega, actually knew him. But nothing came of the investigation. One of the victims in Whit- Whitaker's 2014 inappropriate conduct re- uh, reported his behavior to an employee of the district, but no known action was ever taken in response to the report. On and on and on it goes. So uh, Paul Matasiak, uh from San Francisco is handling this case. And I talked to him this week because I wanted to talk to him as well as I talked to a law enforcement official about uh, this insurance issue and the incredible, uh, the incredible costs and the fact that these insurance companies are not going to want to insure schools. And where does the money, when you have to pay these high deductibles, where does it come out of? It comes out of the students' pockets. Now, uh, anyway, if you... There's a lot more to these incidents. There's a lot more details of these incidents where even District uh, Superintendent Osumi uh, had people meet with her that were uh, assaulted by Whitaker, and she did nothing about it and actually made a donation to Jim Whitaker's campaign fund for supervisor. Uh, So... It goes on and lists in greater detail what what went on in each of these situations. One situation where he videoed this girl's uh, butt, uh, the district told him to delete the video, but no disciplinary action was ever taken. Fascinating, isn't it? Amazing. We're talking about a multi, uh, multiple of, of uh, key individuals here. We uh, Officer Ortega or Ortega is mentioned. District Superintendent Auberg is mentioned. Osumi is mentioned. District, District uh, Superintendent Willie Wong is mentioned. Uh, Principal Highland, uh, e- even though I don't see him mentioned in here, there's there's room for uh, for him to be addressed in here because they address a lot of John Doe's. These people named plus John Doe's. So. Uh, I, I was saying uh, the attorney's name incorrectly. I'm looking at the spelling now. It's Mati, Matiazic, M-A-T-I-A-S-I-C, Paul Matiazic. He's in partnerships or has another attorney with him. Uh, Hannah Moore is working on this case. So Matiazic and Johnson, uh, 44 Montgomery Street, San Francisco, California. He's representing... Uh, a couple of the uh, complainants, but he's listing all these different incidences that now people have come forward. I don't know how many people will actually be represented. So I called him this week to discuss, where are you on this case? Is this case still happening? Are you still representing these people? Is it going to come to trial? What's going to go on? And, uh, and he, uh, and I also mentioned, uh, asked him the question of whether he thought, uh, or whether he knew that Jim Whitaker had actually 
uh, kept his teaching credential and was now teaching school and, and being the principal of a high-risk group of kids at uh, T.E. Matthews Court School. So T.E. Matthews is a part of the Yuba County Office of Education schools, and everyone in that school uh, is way behind in school. It isn't, a, it isn't a continuation school. You have to actually be in trouble with the law to go to that school, and there's actually a probation officer on campus there. And uh, so he was uh, first hired as a fill-in to replace the lady who had some sort of a relationship with one of the kids at Juvenile Hall and then married him after he got over to the uh, over to the jail. Jim Whitaker was hired to replace that lady, and now he's been given the, the, the position of principal. So I, I called Paul Matiazic. And I said, Paul, do you, do you, uh, how's it going? What's happened? It's the first time I ever talked to him. I said, what's going on with the insurance industry? What's going on with the case? And do you, do you have any idea that, uh, Jim Whitaker has now been hired by the school district five minutes from Yuba City Unified, uh, called Yuba County Office of Education to take over a school of high risk boys and girls, teenagers. Uh, he was shocked and, uh, there was a pause on the phone and, uh, he was taken back by that, uh, situation and we began to talk and I, he said, Lou, I said, what's this going to look like? And he said, he said, first of all, uh, the district hired the district, the board hired an independent investigative firm to investigate these allegations that I'm listing here. I didn't, and aside from me looking at them, they, they, to decide Whitaker's fate, they hired a separate firm that looked into this and they came back and they found merit to the allegations. In other words, a lot of Whitaker's supporters uh, keep saying, well, the, the, these girls just want money. These women just want money. This is all, these are all lies. Well, first of all, the only ones asking for money are a couple that are mentioned here in this case, but the majority of people that have grown up, they're, they're grown women, uh, they don't want their names to be involved uh, publicly. They don't want any, they're not writing books. They're not wanting awards, uh, rewards, awards, anything. They just want uh, the school district to do its job. So, uh, so the, 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 the defendants in this uh, case are Yuba, Yuba City Unified School District, Doreen Osumi, Nancy Alberg, Alberg, Jim Whitaker, and Doe's 1 through 50. So uh, Paul Matiazic says that a private firm hired, independent firm hired, uh, confirmed enough of these incidences to advise the board to remove Whitaker, which they did. Uh, so the trial, Mr. Matiazic estimates the trial will probably be set in 2020 sometime, but they'll, they'll have, they have a hearing in November of 2019. I said, what's it going to look like? He said, Lou, I have a parade. He referred this is exact words. I have a parade of witnesses uh, that will, including fellow employees, 
and students that will reveal a serial a predator uh, in Jim Whitaker uh, that employed deviant uh, sexual contact, Im deviant improper sexual contact. And uh, so I... I'd never have read the complaint, but he sent me a copy of the complaint. And I'm reading from it. Now, why am I bringing all this up now? Well, one thing is it's an ongoing investigation, but, but that's not the most important thing. The most important thing uh, is that uh, Mr. Whitaker was hired by the Yuba County Office of Education. The lady that hired him... Uh, is no longer employed at the uh, Yuba County Office of Education because she retired. She worked there for many, many years. Uh, frankly, when she made this hiring decision, I was shocked. And while talking to an employee of the district recently and bringing this up, I don't think this employee had any idea what what is in this complaint that's going to go to court. But uh, the uh, she said, well, you know, Lou, it's very hard to find teachers nowadays. And I thought, whoa, that was a mouthful right there. It's very hard to find good teachers or teachers nowadays. And I thought, we're in real trouble because if we're so hard, so hard up to find teachers, that we have to hire a person that has been fired. To me, to have a district fire a teacher is just massive because teachers have more firepower behind them in the union than any other group in California. And it's very, very difficult. One of my friends who just died, I believe, last week, George Smith, who was a superintendent of Marysville Joint Unified School District. And we were fellow board members on the Yuba County Office of Education for many years. And he told the board one time, he said, you know, we should never try to fire a teacher unless it's very, very apparent and egregious. It's, and if hopefully they'll resign because he said, we, we tried back in the 70s, we spent a quarter of a million dollars in, in legal fees. And, and the teacher kept her job, and she and we were totally in the right. So it's very, very difficult to see a teacher removed. Uh, so the fact that Yuba City Unified removed them, and right across the river, we read that, you know, for all of you that are listening from other states that don't know our community, we're, we just have a river separating one community from another. It looks like one community when you fly over it. But the county the county line is on, at the river, and we have two county seats, Yuba City and Marysville, and we're, we're literally minutes apart. So you know one, one, one community knows what's going on in the other community. And to know that this uh, person, Whitaker, was accused, and, and you know what I was thinking? These, these are some other questions. How do we get these many accusations? and actually get written up in the person's personnel file that you did commit these things and never get a police report and never never get any kind of filing of 
with the district attorney. One of the reasons in the early days, up until the last, say, six years, is that District Attorney Carl Adams was a best friend of the sheriff of the county, which was Jim Whitaker's father. And uh, some people are saying that's a reason that there was no prosecution of any of these crimes. Even though there were all these complaints at the school level. Now, you don't have to... You can get fired as a teacher, if you can prove it, without having to go to jail, without having a crime. In other words, a teacher is just a crummy teacher, doesn't show up to work. There's reasons, right? They can get fired, and it isn't a crime. It's just they don't deserve to have the job anymore. So there, you can get fired from a school, and you could get eliminated from a school for for misbehavior, though it may not ever get to the level of being a crime. It's interesting that after 20-some years and all these accusations that are going to come before the Sutter County Court and be and have testimony about them, that nobody in law enforcement filed a charge against Jim Whitaker. It's just, it's the oddest thing. That this second amend, it, these amended, this amended report, complaint has 16 different charges negligence one negligent hiring and retention two negligent supervision failure to warn three battery four sexual battery five false imprisonment six intentional infliction of emotional distress seven negligence eight concealment nine violation of the UNRWA civil rights act 10 violation of title nine 11 Failure to perform mandatory duties, 12. Sexual discrimination in educational setting, 13. Unauthorized access to and distribution of private student information, 14. Common law invasion of privacy, 15. Invasion of privacy under California Constitution, Article 1, Section 116. This is going to go to a jury trial, but it's interesting that now we have, with all that I just read you, that this woman of three decades an insurance expert, a vice president of a major insurance corporation, writes a book and says California has major problems and it's going to be very difficult to get insurance for molestation. And you don't you know that the premiums for these insurance companies are being paid out of your kid's desk, right? The lack of supplies and student... Uh, all the stuff that students need, balls, playground stuff, technology, all the stuff we need in the classroom is getting sucked up in these ridiculous premiums for molesters. And then we have to turn around and pay a huge deductible. What this lady's saying is the deductibles are going to go way, way up. In other words, you're going to have to set aside a million dollars in a side fund. So you're going to pony up the first million, right? And then they'll pick up the next millions. And so in the midst of all this environment of a highly charged sexual uh, community or society at this point, plus school districts that just simply ignore, they just don't do their jobs. The people that we're talking about dropping the ball are being paid $150,000 to $225,000 a year. We're talking about superintendents, head of head of personnel, uh, 
that aren't doing their jobs. We're talking about principals that are making over $100,000 a year, not doing their jobs. They take a complaint and do not do their jobs. They, they are mandated reporters. When you don't report something a student reports to you, that is a misdemeanor. We'll be right back. And uh, I, let's see, what do I got going here for you tonight? Oh, I, this is a great clip. The left wants to keep racism alive, don't you know? We'll be right back. Have you come here for forgiveness? Have you come to raise the dead? Have you come here to play Jesus to the lepers in your head? Where did I ask too much? More than a lot. You gave me nothing. Now was all I got. A good rule of thumb is if you are not a person of color and millions of people of color across this country is saying a thing or a person is racist, it's really not your place to say that it isn't. You've heard about the black card, right? No, not the one from Visa or American Express. This one is much more valuable. There are entire organizations that have been built upon it and individuals that have used it to acquire both wealth and influence. If this sounds like something you might wish to own, you should know that there is only one way you can get your hands on it. You have to be born with black skin. That's the only requirement, really. You can be poor, middle class, rich, it doesn't matter. The black card will still confer upon you an entire history of oppression, even if you've never been oppressed. Flash the black card and most white people will cower. Play the black card expertly and you can win awards, make millions, all the while claiming that the people who got you there somehow hate you. With a black card, you can sell books full of indecipherable prose because with a card that powerful, who cares if your words make any sense? You can call yourself a civil rights leader and shake down multinational corporations or you can torch your own neighborhood because you didn't like the outcome of a grand jury verdict. Ironically, the people you might think have the most legitimate claim to the black card refuse to use it. Take my grandfather, for instance. He raised me from the time I was nine years old. Born in 1941 in rural North Carolina, he started working at age five, laying out tobacco to dry on a sharecropping farm. Jim Crow, separate drinking fountains in the KKK were ever-present realities. He was 17 when he married my grandmother. He made a living cleaning homes and office buildings until he saved up enough money to open his own cleaning business. The thing is, he never played any card. Nor did my grandmother. If they had problems, they didn't blame anybody. They just fixed them. And they raised me to do the same. Chores were a requirement in their household. So was reading the Bible every morning before school. I didn't like the Bible readings and I hated the chores, but I realize now that these small acts of discipline, although sometimes stifling, had a strong, positive impact on my character. I was a first-generation college student. This was supposed to be the ticket to prosperity, but it wasn't. 
I left college with a mountain of debt and no practical skills. I had just $80 in my bank account and very few prospects. I could have given up. I could have dug deep into my history and declared myself a natural product of ancestral oppression. I could have played the black card and absolved myself of all responsibility for my own stupid decisions. Except I didn't. Because it would have destroyed my grandfather's legacy. I am proud that he had the fortitude to turn nothing into something and I have no intention of reversing that something back into a nothing. My attitude comes with a price, however, because if you are born black and you don't accept your natural status as a victim, then the validity of your blackness is immediately called into question. Well, so be it. If believing in myself, if accepting the responsibility for my failures somehow disqualifies me from owning an imaginary card, then let me be the first to declare that I don't want one. I also don't want Cornell West, Al Sharpton, or insert anyone else who uses their skin color to game the system as a role model. I already have my grandfather. If there is one thing that my family history has taught me, it's that I do not need a black card or an imaginary anything to make something of myself. For the record, my grandfather, now retired, lives in a home that he and my grandmother built on a plot of land they purchased in North Carolina the very same sharecropping farm that he worked on as a small child. His story is unique. His story is beautiful because it's American. And that's the only card I've ever been interested in playing. I'm Candace Owens for Prager University. Let your conscience be your guide But I know deep down inside of me I believe that you love me Forget All right, here we go. We're on fourth segment, and uh, I'm just finishing up talking about the fact that one school district, I'm telling you, if I was a superintendent of a school district, and even if I liked a person that got fired, if there was accusation and a lawsuit filed against that person, I would not hire them. Now, as I was thinking about before I uh, came today to do the podcast, I was thinking, what does this case remind me of, the Whitaker case? Do you remember, some of you that are older, do you remember the O.J. Simpson case? And do you remember the, you know, it's being tried, right? in Los Angeles where OJ Simpson was a great football player, right? He was at USC. And so he's being tried for murdering two people and his defense team, Johnny Cochran and, and, uh, Mr. Shapiro, I can't remember his first name. It seemed like there was a third and a fourth person as well. Anyways, quite a team, right? It was a, uh, it was a hall of fame, legal team, uh, they kicked uh, the rear of the district attorney, Clark, at that time. She prosecuted the case, and uh, there were a couple of them prosecuting that case, but, but the police made some uh, errors uh, in the evidence issues, <clears throat> and uh, which happens sometimes, but 
this and that, uh, he ends up going free, right? However, the families of the uh, victims, uh, Nicole Brown, and then her, I guess she had a boyfriend that was involved. Uh, the families of those two people filed a personal injury lawsuit, just like these various young girls are, are girls and women are filing lawsuits now against Jim Whitaker. Uh, like in, like in this case, there was no criminal case because no, no criminal case was ever, you know, how do you, how do you, the public doesn't bring a criminal case, right? That has to be brought by, uh, the police or the sheriff's department or the grand jury or the DA, right? That somebody's got to, got to bring a case. And no one did in the case of Jim Whitaker. In the case of O.J. Simpson, there definitely was a case, and they fought the thing out in court, and the uh, defense prevailed. However, the victims' families filed a suit, and they won hundreds of millions of dollars, I think, from Simpson. I can't remember the amount. And then, then Simpson eventually got in trouble for other things and did some prison time, and now is back out. Right. So there's uh, sometimes the system fails us. You with me? Some of you victims out there, some of you people that have been victims, they, you know, you've, you've been failed by the system in some way. Some uh, district attorneys are better than others, right? They're more aggressive than others. They follow the rules better than others. Some police chiefs and uh, detectives are sharper than others. So uh, that's the way it is here. I want to go on now, and I, Walter Williams wrote a, a short uh, article that I think is very appropriate because a lot of your uh, kids are going back to school right now. They're going to all, all the levels. Some of my friends' kids are going to college, and I think, how come you're how come you're sending them to that college? Like, why did you make that decision? Oh, it's like some people choose a college because it's near home, or they got a good soccer team, or football team or something or baseball team or basketball team. That's so that maybe they got offered a little spiff to come and play there. But I'm telling you the level of education. I just started, by the way, I just went on to Hillsdale college and, uh, you know, they do this constitution online course, but I got intrigued by this online course on Genesis. Cause I like the book of Genesis and I'm just beginning an online course, the book of Genesis. And I, I, I think Hillsdale's college is great, and but nobody ever pays attention to me when I tell them, oh, you ought to go, you ought to go take that. So anyway, um, I want to talk to you a little bit about colleges and the, uh, the, uh, the rating on colleges and how dismal it is. And what you, and I was telling this kid starting college that I said the classes are crummy. So you shouldn't have any problem passing them. Now, before I get there, because I've got caught up in two long segments here, uh, two long topics here, I want to mention that that I'm grateful to the people that uh, help us stay on the air uh, because we don't get paid to be on the air. We actually pay to be on the air, to go on the air, and we have to pay for websites and podcast fees and 
editing fees and, you know, I'm not complaining. I'm just telling you it costs money. It's no big deal. It's just money, right? And it's, that's not the most important thing in life, money. It isn't the most important thing to me, but I am appreciative that people are uh, helping me do this as a team. And so Elite Universal Security uh, here in Yuba County, although they're located all up and they're working all up and down from Sacramento County all the way up to the Oregon border, and they're looking for people to work up there, Chico, Redding, Sacramento, even up in even Oregon. They're looking for workers uh, to help them in the security business because the police are not able to do the job they once did. And the, the politicians or the judges are saying, politically correct judges saying, stand down. Let these people lay around the streets, poop on the streets, vandalize and vandalize the river. Pollute the river. You know, if I if I go over and throw a beer can in the river, the fish and, fish and wildlife would arrest me. But you, an addict could throw, he could poop in the river and they'd let him go by, right? That's what's going on right now. It's total insane. So Elite Universal Security is being hired to protect businesses because uh, law enforcement's not able to do that. And so I talked to Monty Hecker over there. He said, Lou, we're so busy. We're so busy. We need more workers. We need people that are want to work hard and, and reputable people. But if you want a job, you can call them at 530-749-0280. And you could go on their website, api-academy.com, and you could see all the classes, and you can even get your uh, concealed weapon permit uh, training there. You can renew your permit. They're doing a, week, a weekend or two a month. Uh, they're doing permits. You can take all kinds of classes. Either they have classes here in Yuba County. You can take them online. Lots of opportunity. Uh, here a while back, they were looking for workers in Lathrop, California, Sacramento, Butte County, Yuba County, Sutter County, all over the place. There's work out there, folks. People say, oh, I, people say, eh, I don't think there's a lot of jobs here. I say, you don't know what you're talking about. I could get a job in a hot second. So uh, they'll do live scans for you. If you need a live scan for, for any reason, they do them every day of the week. And uh, they even do a mobile notary service. So check it out and uh, get it on. Go out there and get a job. Or if you need their services, they'll help you. They will help you. I found, I found this before I go on to school thing. I saw this little meme tip this week on the Internet. Guns aren't the problem. Evil is the problem. Do you think that's true? Remember Jim Jones down in San Francisco? He was a great friend of Harvey Milk and uh, Willie Brown and all these politicians down there. Remember Jim Jones? How, remember how he, he didn't use a gun? He didn't use a knife. He killed 919 people with Kool-Aid. Do you remember that? And today, Kool-Aid is still on the shelf. I'm, I'm just shocked. With Democrats running California... And we've removed, uh, we've removed the uh, straws. We've removed so many things. And uh, now, but Kool-Aid is still a popular drink among some people, I'm assuming. I used to love Kool-Aid, but <clears throat> I don't, I've, I've moved on from sugar. But Jim Jones killed 919 people with Kool-Aid. The other, the other meme that I ran across was a, a photo of a gun pointing at you. It said, 22 Americans murdered every day with firearms. I thought, terrible. That's just terrible. But then next to it, it shows Planned Parenthood, a wall on their building with Planned Parenthood uh, name, and it said, 898 Americans aborted every day by Planned Parenthood. 
Now, it's interesting that Kamala Harris is so concerned about <clears throat> guns, but yet she she went after and arrested people that that exposed Planned Parenthood uh, for selling baby parts. And Kamala Harris is actually supported by Planned Parenthood, who kills 898 Americans every single day. But, of course, Kamala is very, really concerned that 22 Americans are murdered with a firearm and, and therefore wants to take everybody's. Not just She just doesn't want to take the firearm away from the shooter that killed those 22. She wants to take everybody's firearm away, right? So let me, talk, let me move on and talk about Walter Williams. And uh, this is shocking, folks. I hope you get this. He says, for many parents, August is a month of both pride and tears. Pride because they're teenagers taking that big educational step and tears because for many it's the beginning of an empty nest. Yet there's a going away to college question that far too few parents ask and even contemplate. And that is, what will my youngster learn in college? Honestly, people, I wouldn't send my kid to 99% of the colleges based upon what they learned that is just total baloney. So he says there's this group called the American Council of Trustees and Alumni, and they do some research to figure out what the answer to that question is, what my youngster is going to learn. They call this group ACTA, American Council of Trustees and Alumni, ACTA, A-C-T-A. They evaluated uh, every four-year public university, that's not private, it's public, as well as hundreds of of private colleges. So they did hundreds of privates and every one of the four-year public universities. That's more than 1,100 institutions that enroll nearly 8 million students, more than two-thirds of all students enrolled in four-year liberal arts schools nationwide. What will they learn in 2018-19? They put out a report. That's the report's name. Williams says it looks pretty bad. ACTA assigned grades that tells some of the story. Just 23 universities, institutions of 1,100, or 2%, earned an A grade. 343 colleges of 31% earned a B grade. 347 institutions, 31% got a C grade. 273, 24% got a D grade, and 134, 12% got an F grade. He says, if you think your youngster will get a truly liberal arts education, you're really mistaken. It turns out that less than half of the schools studied require courses in traditional literature. You remember when you, did you go to college? You remember taking traditional literature, reading all those books, classics? I did. Did you take a foreign language? I did. Did you take U.S. government history classes? I did. Took economics classes? I did. You don't have less than half of the school studied required courses in literature, foreign language, U.S. government, history, and economics. What in the world are they teaching? Why are you paying $10,000, 20000 dollars At some colleges, students can fulfill their humanities requirement with a course titled Global X Zombies. That's a humanities class where we used to study Shakespeare, right? Study amazing novels, right? Take them apart. 
Great Global X Zombies, a U.S. cultural pluralism requirement, can be fulfilled with the economics of Star Trek. This is college, folks. An arts and literature requirement. I took art history at Yuba College. I took both. I took two sessions of English at Yuba College. English 1A and 1B or 1 and 2 or something like that. An arts, an arts and literature requirement can be fulfilled with either the history of comics or game design for non-majors. Game design, I'm assuming that's computer games. Colleges, Williams says, often don't live up to what they say they're going to promise or what they're promising. In college mission statements, as well as their course catalogs, they frequently exalt the virtues of a well-rounded, how, how, how many times you heard that, a well-rounded liberal arts education. He said the reality is different with only 68% of the schools ACTA surveyed requiring three or fewer of the seven core subjects. In other words, they have seven core subjects and all you have to do is do three or few, fewer in a liberal arts uh, curriculum to, to pass. The curricula poorly represent critical subjects such as U.S. history. They don't re represent it. Let me say that again. Listen to this. You wonder why we have all these kids that are socialists? They don't understand U.S. history. They haven't taken it. Or it's, te it's taught poorly. U.S. history, economics, and foreign, foreign languages. I, I talked to somebody the other day. They said we didn't have to take a foreign language. Uh, here's some schools that received an A grade. Pepperdine and Baylor. They're pretty well-known schools, right? for liberal arts and academic excellence. But there are some lesser-known ones, such as Christopher Newport University, Colorado Christian University, Kennesaw State University, Bluefield College, and Regent University that deserve accolades, according to Mr. Williams. You know one that got an F? You won't believe it. University of California at Berkeley got an F. Hamilton and Vassar College got an F. Ivy League colleges received ACTA's two B's, four C's, one D and one F. They their grades, he says, reflect overall significant curriculum weaknesses. Yale doesn't require college-level math courses. Man, I took a math course at Sac State to kick my rear end. Oh, it was hard. Sac State, right? Now Yale doesn't even require a college-level math course. Harvard accepts an elementary-level foreign language study. Elementary level. That's like basic Spanish. To get in there. You don't even have to take it. You got Oh, you got that. Brown universities. I heard some guys talking on a sports show the other day, and they said, oh, Brown, man, they're, they're like top-notch. They have an open curriculum, which means students may take whatever classes they want without strict requirements. I tried to get finished my degree at Sac State a few years ago. I had plenty of units, and I was just three units short of an upper division multidisciplinary class. I had all the units for a four-year degree, sociology, focus, history, and government minors. Uh, when I went in to, to try to get it, they said, oh, no, you're going to have to start all over with a brand new 
like a full sociology major. I just thought, you know something, I don't, I'm, at my age, almost 100, I don't have time to do this. Because uh, I thought maybe I'd go overseas and teach English to in Vietnam or China, you know. But uh, I passed on that. The students can get an excellent education at these schools, says Williams, if classes are chosen wisely. In other words, if the, if the student just goes in and wants to party hardy and wants to just get funded by moms to screw guys and screw girls and, uh, and just screw off, drink beer, smoke weed, have a good time for four or five years, right? They could take college like on the zombies, on learning about games, and don't take Spanish, don't take math, just take a bunch of flunk, flunky courses and graduate from Yale, Brown, all these schools, Berkeley, right? It's interesting. I flew from uh, Seoul, Korea to Berkeley or to, to San Francisco the other uh, last month. And, I've, and the two guys next to me were flying together to go to Berkeley. They were engineering students from Seoul, Korea. And uh, they were going over to take a seminar uh, for a few days at Berkeley. And I thought, ah, I hope that's good. After reading all this, I said, I, I've, I'm sad for these guys because they're probably smarter than the average Berkeley student. So there's another issue that, that nobody's really looking at with colleges is like, do you even need a college education? A lot of my friends are making more than college students make if you're really looking for money. If you're looking for a good education, you're not getting one like I got. I got a good education, and I could have had a better one if I worked harder. But a lot of the kids aren't getting a good education, and when they get out, they're not, getting a, they're not making any money either. And they're, it says 49% of young millennials said their degree was very or somewhat unimportant. Very unimportant to their current job. The, the, the degree was not important. <clears throat> I, I played a Prager University clip, a four-minute clip or so, where this person said, I learned more working for McDonald's, the hamburger joint, in their corporation than I learned in college. Uh, the Federal Reserve Bank in New York in an October 2018 report found that many students are unemployed, filling jobs that can be done with a high school education. More than one-third of currently working college grads are in jobs that do not require a degree, such as a flight attendant, janitors, and salesmen. The bottom line for parents, according to Williams, and uh, is there, that these youngsters are spending four more years in college and accumulating tens of thousands of dollars in debt. And, and it's fact, it's, it's probably not the road to a successful life. And they may end up coming back hating you and your conservative views or your views, period, and think they know all about everything and they're just totally deceived because it, they're coming back socialists, right? They're out burning flags on the street. I don't know whether you're watching Hong Kong. In Hong Kong, the students there are waving American flags as a symbol of where they want to go, freedom democracy, right? Civil rights. And they're singing the national anthem in the streets and we got our people that probably can't spell national anthem that are taking and kneeling on the side of a football field and getting paid a bajillion dollars uh, and all this and being a celebrity 
and all they can see is bad stuff about America. Well, we're going to take another break here, and I'm going to play you um, a clip on global warming. Please listen closely. It's very interesting. It's, it's just we've been flat taken advantage of. We've been sucker punched, and I'm telling you, we got a, we got a little Venezuela happening, or we got a big Venezuela happening here in California, and, and they're going to force going green on us whether we like it or not. So uh, we'll be right back, and then we'll uh, do another clip here, or another section. Oh, babe, don't say you're doing fine. Don't hide yourself away. There's something on your mind. You're drinking in the day, crumbling from the way. Sometimes it's good to cry. But even warm period was from 900 to about 1300 A.D. Then you had the Roman warming period around 0 A.D. Peer-reviewed studies, geologic records, and all the, all the, all the uh, studies have shown that we have actually um, cooled since the Roman warming period and likely since the medieval warming period to current. In other words, we were up here warm in the Roman warming period, then we cooled a little bit, then we warmed in the medieval warm period, then we went to a little ice age, and now we're back up. Not quite where we were in the medieval warm period. The first United Nations Climate Report, 1990, showed a massive medieval warm period, and then it goes down, and we still weren't at that same temperature. That was untenable. So what happened? We actually had the scientists testify in the United States Senate. He got a call from a colleague who said, we have to get rid of the medieval warm period. These were UN-affiliated academic scientists. Guess what? By year 2000, they got rid of the medieval warm period. They erased it. They went back and they said, you know, we've looked at everything and it no longer existed. They showed a flat line and then the 20th century, a big hockey stick. That's what they did. And then I have a whole chapter devoted into my book on the con that was erasing the past. But they've done it before. Skeptics, climate skeptics made hay out of the almost 20 year pause in global warming. What does the federal government do? NOAA scientists. Tired of this, they're sick of it. They have satellite data, land, a, this, the temperature's not going up. They're frustrated, they're angry, it's ruining. Right before the UN Paris Agreement in November 2015, NOAA, federal agency, scientists comes out, they call it the pause buster study. They said, you know what? We've redone the numbers, we've looked at the past, we did it wrong, and here's the new data, there was no global warming pause. My favorite quote to sum this up, the whole climate debate, is there are literally hundreds of factors that influence the climate. Carbon dioxide is not the control knob. The idea that humans can tweak one variable among hundreds of factors from tilt of the Earth's axis to water vapor to methane to clouds to volcanoes to um, ocean cycles, etc. One selected factor, the human contribution to CO2, which is microscopic of, of the whole CO2, natural CO2, and think we can come out and control the climate with that, the scientists called it scientific nonsense. And that's the bottom line. If we face a climate catastrophe, you would not want to centrally plan, you would not want to empower the United Nations, you would not want to stifle technology, you would not want government picking winners and losers in energy technologies. You would want to unleash the free market system. The day someone could walk into Walmart and buy you know, alternative energy, if you can go in and buy a wind, uh, not a windmill, but a solar panel, put it on your roof, get off the grid, that's the day you don't have to worry about any fossil fuel debate or, or anything going on. But you'd want, you'd want people to be wealthier, more prosperous, technological advancements, and none of that is what they're proposing. The, the Green New Deal is all about 
masterminding everything in central planning. And that's what's frightening is that if we actually faced it, their solutions would be the exact wrong way to go. Thank God we don't face it. But if we did, not only would they have no impact on the climate, but it would take us down a completely dark anti-human road of crushing development, seniors, poor people, fixed income, paying much more percentage of their income for energy to do absolutely nothing for the climate. The Great American Smokeout, a day that everyone in America was encouraged to stop smoking cigarettes for a 24-hour period. Here to comment further is Update Health Correspondent Roseanne, Rosanna Dana. Yeah, thanks a lot, Jen. Thanks a lot. A Mr. Richard Fader from Fort Lee, New Jersey writes in and says, Dear Roseanne, Rosanna Dana, last Thursday I quit smoking. Now, I'm depressed, I gained weight, my face broke out, I'm nauseous, I'm constipated, my feet swelled, my gums are bleeding, my sinuses are clogged, I got heartburn, I'm cranky, and I have gas. What should I do? Mr. Fader, you sound like a real attractive guy. You belong in New Jersey. Because once I, Roseanne, Rosanna Dana, quit smoking. And to get back in shape, I had to join one of those fancy schmancy health clubs. You know the ones where it's real expensive to join, but it's worth it because you get to see a lot of people that you don't know naked. <laughs> Today. I hope you enjoy them. I sure enjoyed listening to all of them. I want to talk to you about the, uh, you, you know, for the last few months, actually for since since Trump was elected, and the accusations of collusion. You know, just like any human being, you say, "What? What's going on?" Right? Like, what's going on? And so everybody was in unity on the left saying that. So. They end up investigating, right? And then you have all these players that surface that are investigating. Key people, Mueller, Comey, R Rosenstein, you know, uh, just all these people, right? So you don't know who's who back there, right? You just kind of know, oh, yeah, he's head of the FBI. He used to be head of the FBI. He's this, he's that. I want to I go over something with you, and <clears throat> if you want to, I know some of you are probably working listening to this, so, but you can just soak it all in. I'm going to, I didn't put all this together, someone else did, but, but it's shocking. And it's how all these people fit together, okay? Uh, and how this whole, uh, you think, oh, I, you know, I always have people, oh, I'm not into conspiracy theories, right? Well, I want to, I want to tell you about uh, incestuous relationship of a lot of people back in Washington, D.C. Uh, you know, Trump began to call it the swamp. And, you know, a lot of times in politics, you come up with these slogans that they're just a slogan, right? And they, you're hoping they get some traction. They were, they, you know, they make a point, but there is a literal swamp. It's big time and it's really corrupt. And it's like I talked about, if you looked at Ellis Lake, if you lived here, it's a, it's a swamp. It's funky. You don't want to fall in there. So I want to cover this for you. It says, uh, <clears throat> 
From 2001 to 2005, there was an ongoing investigation into the Clinton Foundation. Remember that? The Clinton Foundation, when Hillary Clinton was Secretary of State, they started a foundation. Foundation is a nonprofit, right? And uh, a nonprofit, they took money and they were going to funnel that money or redistribute that money to areas in the world that needed help. That's the theory, right? But what happened is that actual governments gave money to the Clinton Foundation, hoping to get favors from the Secretary of State, who happened to be Hillary Clinton at the time. So you got that? Hold that thought. From 2001 to 2005, there was an ongoing investigation into the Clinton Foundation. A grand jury had been impaneled. Governments from around the world had donated to the charity, quote unquote. Yet from 2001 to 2003, none of those donations to the Clinton Foundation were declared. In other words, you know how, like I, I run a nonprofit trauma intervention program, right? And uh, so the trauma intervention program, we have to file uh, reports with the IRS and the state franchise tax board, right? And so uh, they didn't do that. They didn't declare these donations. Now you'd think that they would get their, their, uh, you know, uh, like I, I have not filed. I've missed a report one time and I and they shut down the nonprofit until I could fix that. So, you know, they're on it. Right. They're not these uh, these IRS people. But they didn't do anything to the Clintons. Right. From 2001 to 2003, they're handling not like me, fifty thousand dollars. They're handling hundreds of millions of dollars. And they and they didn't file any reports on this. Now, it's, now, this guy's going to weave together all these people that are corrupt and see how they fit together. He says, now, he says, now you'd think that an honest investigator would be able to figure this out. Look at who took over this investigation in 2005, he says, a guy named Joshua Darville. Now, the, the investigation into the Clinton Foundation in 2005, you know who took it over to investigate it? James Comey. He says, coincidence? Guess who was transferred into the Internal Revenue Service to run the tax exemption branch of the IRS at about this time? None other than a lady named Lois Lerner. That ring a bell to you regarding going after conservative uh, Tea Party groups and churches? Isn't that interesting? Comey protects the Clintons. Lerner handles the nonprofit tax exempt branch. So she protects the Clintons. Comey protects the Clintons, right? But this is all just a series of strange coincidences, right? Guess who ran the tax division inside the Department of Justice from 2001 to 2005? At the same time, all this was going on. None other than the United uh, Attorney General of the United States Assistant, Rod Rosenstein. So we got Rosenstein, Comey, and Lois Lerner, all in sensitive places to protect. Guess who was the director of Federal Bureau of Investigation during that time frame? Just a coincidence. A guy named Robert Mueller. What do all four casting characters have in common? They all have were briefed and were frontline investigators into the Clinton Foundation investigation. Another, another coincidence, right? Fast forward to 2009. James Comey leaves the Justice Department and goes to work at Lockheed Martin. Hillary Clinton is running for running the State Department 
official government business on her own personal email server. The Uranium One issue comes to the attention of Hillary. Remember Uranium One? Should we sell 20% of our uranium to the Russians? Remember we're talking about Russian collusion with Trump? Now watch this. Like all good public servants do supposedly looking out for America's best, she decides to support the decision and approve the sale of 20% of all the U.S. uranium to the Russians. No Russian collusion here. Now you would think that this is a highly or fairly straight up deal, except it wasn't. America got absolutely nothing out of it. American citizens got nothing out of this. What about those tariffs, you think? Tariffs bring money into the country. That's what Trump's talking about. We got ripped off time and time again by Obama and Clintons and the Bushes. However, he says, prior to the sales approval, Bill Clinton, the sale of the uranium, Bill Clinton goes over to Moscow, and he gets paid a half a million dollars. I, have you ever given a speech? I give a speech, and I only get it like a lunch, free lunch out of it. I give a speech every once in a while. I gave one two weeks ago. Didn't even get a nickel out of it. Got myself a, a buffet. Clinton goes to Moscow at about the same time they're going to get 20% of all the U.S. uranium lined up by his wife, and he gets paid a half a million dollars for a one-hour speech. Then he meets with Putin, the, the prime minister, the president, at his home for a few hours. No, no big deal. The FBI had a mole at the same time inside the money laundering and bribery, bribery scheme all along. The FBI had a mole inside this whole Uranium One deal. However, Robert Mueller was the FBI director during the time frame. He even de delivered a uranium sample to Moscow as a courtesy in 2009. Robert, what a wonderful man, man of integrity, honesty. Oh, well, nobody can question your integrity, Robert. Who was handling that case within the Justice Department out of the U.S. Attorney's Office in Maryland? Darn, Rod Rosenstein is, that guy's a hard worker. Rod Rosenstein, he's, he's over there handling uh, stuff on the Clinton Foundation investigation. Then he's just, he's a multitasker, that old Rodney. What happened to the informant with the FBI? The Department of Justice placed a gag order on that informant and threatened to lock him up if he ever, ever spoke one word about it. What a coinkadink that is. Terrible. Rod Rodenstein. And what happened to the informant? Well, we never heard from him again. How does 20% of the most strategic asset of the United States of America end up in Russian hands when the FBI has an informant, a mole, providing inside information to the FBI and the criminal enterprise? Well... Very soon after the sale was approved, $145 million in donations happened to go. Oh, Clinton already got $500,000 for spending an hour talking and then visiting, having lunch with Putin. Then $145 million floated over in donations to the Clinton Foundation from entities directly connected to the Uranium One deal. Guess who was still at the Internal Revenue Service working for the charitable division? Well, that was none other than take the fifth lowest learner. You remember her? Well, that's just another in a long series of coincidences. Uh, let's get let's do a few more. 
Let's fast forward to 2015. Due to a series of tragic events in Benghazi, and after the nine investigations that the House and Senate State Department did about Benghazi to say, how come Benghazi happened? Was it a film that started out, a little film trailer? Well, after nine investigations, Trey Gowdy, who was running the 10th investigation as chairman of the Select Committee on Benghazi, he stumbled across the fact that Hillary Clinton ran the State Department on an unclassified, unauthorized, outlawed personal email server. He also discovered that none of those emails had been turned over when she departed. She left public service as Secretary of State, which is required by law. You know, she said, oh, well, they were of uh, Chelsea's wedding and, you know, they were just girly stuff. He also discovered that there was a top secret information. There was top secret information contained within her personal archive email. So we won't go into the State Department cover-ups or the, all the things they floated about Benghazi, the delay tactics that were employed. Remember, we couldn't. Remember, the emails were lost forever. Hard drives were broken. They were scrubbed with bleach. This happened. That happened. Outright lies brought forth by the Kerry State Department. Uh, everybody was covering for Hillary. I don't know why everybody likes her so much. It's just amazing. So now this is amazing. Guess who becomes FBI director in 2013? None other than James Comey. He comes back from the private sector and... Uh, after he secured 17 no-bid contracts for his employer, Lockheed Martin, with the State Department. James, friend of the Hillary Clinton, gets 17 no-bid contracts for his employee, Lockheed Martin, for the State Department. And was rewarded with $6 million. Thank you. Um, it was a thank you gift, a bonus, when he departed from his employee. So he went over there, made himself $6 million got 17 no-bid no contracts for Lock, Lockheed Martin from the State Department from Hillary after he covered for her over at the Hill Clinton Foundation. <clears throat> now he's FBI director in charge of the Clinton email investigation, for God's sake. After, of course, the FBI investigates the Lois Lerner matter. Remember Lois Lerner? And exonerates her. Nope, couldn't find any crimes there. Well, she may maybe, you know... Just a couple reckless guys out of Cincinnati got a little hardcore on the reports, right? She retires, right? In April two, 2016, Comey drafts an exoneration letter of Hillary Clinton before they even interview her, right? They're handling, handing out immunity deals all over, all over the place. They didn't even convene a grand jury like a lightning bolt of statistical impossibility, like a miracle from God himself. Gangsta Comey steps out of the cameras on July 5th, 2016 and says, no, we cannot. Yeah, she, she may have been out there, but no, no real wrongdoing. We just can't, we just can't come to that conclusion. Of course, we can't discuss it with you. It goes on and on. Rob Rosenstein becomes assistant attorney general. Comey gets fired based upon a letter by Rosenstein. Comey leaks government information to the press. Mueller is assigned to the Russian investigation, sham by Rosenstein. 
to provide cover for decades of malfeasance within the FBI and DOJ, and the story continues. Is this unbelievable or what? FISA abuse. Political espionage. Pick a crime, any crime, chances are this group and others did it. All the same players I just mentioned, all compromising, conflicted, all working fervently to not go to jail themselves, all connected in one way or another to the Clintons. They all are like battery acid. They corrode and corrupt everything they touch. How many lives have these two Clintons destroyed? The Clinton Foundation, now in its 20th year, 20-some years of operation, of being the largest international charity fraud in the history of mankind, has never once been audited by the Internal Revenue Service. Oh, I failed to mention this. Jim Comey's brother works for DLA Piper, the law firm that does the Clinton Foundation's taxes. Now, this is just unbelievable, isn't it? James Comey's brother works for DLA Piper, the law firm that does the foundation's taxes. They never get investigated. Nothing happens. I mean, I have... It's just unbelievable how small groups get investigated all the time. All I, I tell kids in juvenile hall, you go to juvenile hall for some stealing a stereo and a guy will steal a million dollars and never do a day in jail. The person is the common denominator to all these crimes above and is still doing her evil escape legal maneuvers at the top of the three-letter USA agencies is Hillary Rodham Clinton. Now, there's a, there's a little bit more, but I want to mention before I get to it, uh, Dave Greenitz, because he is another helper to keep me on the air, and he also keeps my house from falling apart. Every time I leave, he says, let me come over and fix the house. In fact, I'm sitting under this wonderful fan and light he put in for me. We, we built a, a little studio over here in my uh, home to do this podcast out of that we then send over to Texas to get all fixed and put on the Internet. But I'm, I'm chilling under this. It's hot over here in California. I'm chilling under this fan that Dave made for me or put up for me. And I want to encourage you uh, that if you want, if you're thinking about a bathroom or a kitchen or a remodel on a part of your house or a deck or a front door or a whole house fan, you should go check out his Facebook site, David Green, Dave Greenitz Construction, G-R-E-E-N-E-T-Z, Dave Greenitz Construction, or go to his website at greenitzconstruction.com and check it out. It will shock you. I mean, the bathroom, every time I see a new bathroom or kitchen, he does a before and after shot a lot of times and posts it. I just thought, man, that's nice. That is really some nice stuff. I know a lot of the uh, subcontractors, they do, I worked in the painting, you know, I worked for a, uh, a con painting contractor for about 10 years. And uh, I, I know about this work, tile work, lighting, there's, you know, you, you, there's the best, and they use the best, and it's quality. You know, when you spend $10,000, $5,000, $20,000, on remodels, you know, you're going to be there for a while, right? You want the best. You want to, you want to 
when you go in there, think, oh, this is awesome right here. Well, if you want awesome, you want Greenwich Construction, and you can reach them. If you're an old person, you actually use a phone. You can dial them up at 530-682-9602. 530-682-9602. But if you're a millennial or you have trouble talking face-to-face, -face, you might want to just sneak a text or an email. You can email right off the website. And you may be able to talk through a mediary or something for a while before you get comfortable. Dave's easy. He always shows up. So, you know, if, make sure when you invite him over, you're really planning to be there because he's going to show up. Don't hide behind the curtains like a tweaker. So, anyway, give him a shout out and uh, tell him you heard it on uh, No Hostages Radio. Also, if you want to contact me before we get back and finish this fiasco that should just scare the hell out of you, uh, if you want to reach out to me, you can reach me at 530-713-1838. You can also go on to Lou, L-O-U, at nohostagesradio.com, and you can get me on email. I want to go back now and, and talk about, says the person, I, I finished saying, the person is a common denominator and, and messing with every agency that we trusted in and were beloved agency, the FBI, the DOJ, the IRS. We may have been afraid of them, didn't want to get, get a letter from them, but you think, hey, they're honest people. They're just doing their job. Okay, everybody's got to pay some taxes, right? But then you feel they, they're liars and they're cheats, they're criminals, right? It's terrible, right? Clinton's involved in every one of these things. Epstein, poor Epstein, went to jail. Ended up either getting killed or killing himself. He hasn't done half the stuff that Clinton's done. Let's learn a little bit about another person. Her name's Mrs. Lisa H. Barzumium. Lisa H. Barzumium. You never heard of her? Well, like a lot of these people, she's another attorney, and she graduated from one of those Ivy League colleges like Georgetown Law, and she's a protege of James Comey and Robert Mueller. Mueller. And uh, Barsumian has a boss named R. Craig Lawrence, who represented Bill Clinton in 1998. Remember Craig Lawrence? I remember him. Lawrence also represented Robert Mueller three times, James Comey five times, Barack Obama 45 times, Kathleen Sebelius 56 times. He's representing, this is an attorney representing these people. Think this dude didn't make a lot of money? They like this Craig Lawrence. He represented Bill Clinton 40 times. He represented Hillary Clinton 17 times. Between 1998 and 2017, Barsumium herself represented the FBI at least five times. You may be saying to yourself, who cares about the work of some lady with an odd name of Barsumium? Well, someone does because someone out there cares so much that they purged all of Barsumium's court documents for her Clinton representation in Hamburg versus Clinton in 1998 and its appeal in 1998 from the D.C. District and Appeals Court dockets. I hate it when things just disappear. 
Someone out there cares so much about Barsoomium that even the internet has purged, has been purged of all information. How do you purge information off the internet anyway? I would have no idea. Her information is all gone. Historically, this indicates that the individual is a protected CIA operative. Additionally, Lisa Barsoomium has specialized in opposing Freedom of Information Act requests, which I've filed before, on behalf of the intelligent community. Although Bersumium has been involved in hundreds of cases representing the D.C. Office of the U.S. Attorney, her email address is lisabarsumium at nih.gov. NIH stands for National Institutes of Health. This is a tactic routinely used by the CIA to protect an operative by using another government organization to shield their activities. It is a cover, so what's the big deal? What's one more attorney with ties to U.S. intelligence community really matter? Well, it deals with the Trump, with Trump and his recent tariffs on Chinese steel and aluminum ports, the border wall, DACA. Everything coming out of California, the Uniparty unrelenting opposition to President Trump, the Clapper leaks, the Comey leaks, Attorney General Jeff Sessions' recusal. And you ever wonder why Jeff got canned? And subsequent 40-month nap with occasional forays into the marijuana legalization mix. And last but not least, Mueller's never-ending investigation and collusion between the Trump team and Russians. Why does Barsoomium... The CIA operative merit any mention at all? Well, she is married to assistant, once the assistant attorney general, Rod Rosenstein. Isn't that amazing? You think we aren't in a big old barrel of crap, folks? We are. We will be right back, and I'm going to play you a little about the Hong Kong protesters powerful video. That video speaks for itself. That bold demonstration of singing the national anthem 
and waving the American flag in China shows that they're serious about protecting their freedom and liberty. And it destroys the leftist narrative that the American flag stands for slavery, genocide, and war. If that's the case, why are the people of Hong Kong waving that flag as they protest against a tyrannical government? Big Brother is knocking at their back door. They know what tyranny looks like. They see the American flag as a symbol of freedom and liberty and independence. The people of Hong Kong understand what most Americans don't. Look at what's happening around the world. Hong Kong, France, Venezuela, Puerto Rico. People are standing up to their governments, but it's not without collateral damage. They're facing violence and tyranny because they don't have the freedoms we have here. We have the freedoms to speak out against the government without fear of punishment and violence and tyranny. We have a second amendment. We have a first amendment. You got rich leftists like Megan Rapinoe and Colin Kaepernick who disrespect the flag. You got everyday normies who burn the American flag on Independence Day. You got left-wing politicians running for president on policies that would wreck this country, destroy freedom and independence. America's so damn free that we can vote to have the government take some of that freedom away. Then what will we have? A wasteland? People die each year trying to get to this country because of what it offers now not because of what the left wants to make it into. This country is a beacon of hope and liberty and light. Let the people of Hong Kong be an example for what this country should stand for. God bless the people of Hong Kong. God bless the USA. Think public schools can be improved? Think again. I'm Randy Thomason with your SaveCalifornia.com Minute. Every election you hear liberal politicians call for more money for public schools. But will more money solve the problem of 70% of children not being proficient in reading, writing, or math? No, it's because selfish people don't love. And it's selfish union bosses that are in control of government schools. Realize that the most modest of reforms, expanded school choice, merit pay for teachers, pension reform, reforms, limits on administrative overhead are all opposed by the teacher unions. So do public schools need more money? No, parents do, so they can use their educational tax dollars to rescue their children from the non-academic, dysfunctional, godless government schools. See more at SaveCalifornia.com, fighting the good fight for your values in California. I'm so uh, heart heart sick about the protesters in Hong Kong. A lot of them are going to get killed over there. And I have uh, spent many, many days, uh, sometimes weeks at a time in Hong Kong, working out of Hong Kong. And lovely people, beautiful people, freedom-loving people, they're just like us over here. And to see them, uh, they're going to get mowed down. That's what's going to happen over there. And they love America. They love capitalism and they love school. They're some of the hardest working, highly educated people I know.
and uh, it's just going. It's just sad what's going to happen. Breaks my heart, but uh, you got to hear a little bit about it and uh, save California Minute. I want to talk to you uh, about uh, an article by Larry Elder. Larry Elder is a black man, and he has a talk show, I believe. I I don't think maybe I've heard it once or twice, but a very sharp guy fills in sometimes. Used to fill in sometimes. It seemed like for Rush. Maybe for, I don't know if Michael Savage had him, but really good speaker, good show, very smart man. And he wrote an article called Slavery, What They Didn't Teach Me in My High School. And I talk, I talk every once in a while about this because there's just a, a total mis, misinformation out there. The schools are lying to the students about it. And uh, the Democrats lie about it. Uh, co- colleges and lower schools lie about it, of course. And it's just tragic. And so the other day on Facebook, I'm on Facebook with a number of people like you are probably. And so a guy I know, I've known him for years, know his family, know his dad, know his aunt. I know a lot of them. And so a relative of his, who I also know those people, made a comment. There was a comment on Facebook about the fact that the Democrats founded the Ku Klux Klan and lynched blacks and conservative whites. And, you know, it was it was a, a rundown on who really the the uh, racist and slavery uh, people were. And so this relative of my, my friend on there went on there and just said it, everything on there was a lie. And the fact, the sad thing is, everything that was printed in that little block on Facebook was exactly the truth. But this guy had been so mis- or malinformed, so deceived, that he just, he, he was getting all funky on Facebook. And my friend... Uh, he's a kind guy, but he's he's un, uninformed. And he was giving that guy the benefit of the doubt, said, oh, well, I, I'll really look into it. Well, uh, I don't need to look into it because I know what's going on, but I thought this article by Larry Elder, you know, uh, is interesting. He says, as a, a man I have known since grade school changed his name, that's probably another black guy, changed his name years ago to an Arabic one. He told me he rejected Christianity as the white man's religion that justified slavery, which isn't true. He argued Africans taken out of that continent were owed reparations. And Larry said, well, from whom would, would they want reparations? So Elder goes on to say, Arab slaves took more Africans. You know, it's interesting when you look at the the slavery issue or the problem or the travesty in context of the whole world, right? Instead of taking, uh, like looking down a straw at it. Arab slaves took more Africans out of Africa, uh, slavers, Arab slavers. In other words, men and that were involved in the slave trade. They called them slavers. Arab slavers took more Africans out of Africa and transported them to the Middle East and to South America than European slavers took out of Africa and brought to North America. Does it make it right? No, it doesn't make anything right. It just, hey, it's perspective. Like, what's going on in the world? Arab slavers began taking slaves out of Africa beginning in the ninth century. You know, our people have axe to grind here of the 17th century. 
But this starts in the ninth century. For those that have gone to school recently, that would be the 800s, right? Arab slavers began taking slaves out of Africa in the ninth century, centuries before the European slave trade ever started and continuing to today. In the book, somebody ought to go read it. Some of you people that think the Democrats were all for black people ought to go read some books. One is Prisons and Slavery by John DeWar Gleisner. He writes, The Arabs' treatment of black Africans can aptly be termed as an African holocaust. Arabs killed more Africans in transit, especially when crossing on foot, an, an animal by the, the Sahara Desert, than Europeans and Americans in over more centuries, both before and after the years of Atlantic slave trade. Arab Muslims began extracting millions of black African slaves centuries before Christian nations did that. Arab slave traders removed slaves from Africa for more for about 13 centuries, that's 1,300 years, compared to three centuries of Atlantic slave trade. Again, it doesn't make any of it right. It's just given perspective on who's doing what and, and, and why and when. African slaves transported by Arabs across the Sahara Desert died more than slaves, more often than slaves making the middle passage to the New World. That's by ship. Slaves invariably died within five years if they worked in the Ottoman Empire's Sahara salt mines. So some of them never did an ocean jaunt where you see these ships and they were in the belly of the ship or something. They just pushed them and they, they chained them up or roped them up and let them walk across the Sahara Desert to their destination. Elder says, my, that's a quote from this book, In Prisons and Slavery. Somebody ought to go look at these histori history scholars and operate more on facts. He says, my name-changing friend did not know that slavery occurred on every continent except Antarctica. Europeans enslaved other Europeans. Asians enslaved Asians. Africans enslaved Africans. Arabs enslaved other Arabs. Native Americans even enslaved other Native Americans. I know all you think they just sit around and smoke the weed and ate peyote and were just loved. It was all love and peace. It's kind of like the hippies in the 1960s, but hippies didn't take any slaves in. Elder's friend accused me of relying on white historians who had a vested interest in lying. So Elder says, well, what about Thomas Sowell, the brilliant economist, his, historian, philosopher who happens to be black? Sowell writes, quote, of all the tragic facts about the history of slavery, the most astonishing to an American today is that although slavery was a worldwide institution for thousands of years, nowhere, I'll say it again, nowhere, I'll say it a third time, nowhere in the world was slavery a controversial issue prior to the 18th century. He goes on, people of every race and color, I would say every ethnic group and color, were enslaved, and they enslaved other people. Sowell has written entire books on this, by the way. 
white people were still being bought and sold as slaves in the Ottoman Empire. If you don't know what the Ottoman Empire is, look it up. Look it up on your phone. White people were still being bought and sold by the Ottoman Empire. Decades after American blacks were set free. In other words, blacks were free, 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 free indeed. But whites were still being enslaved by the Ottoman Empire. Sol goes on to write, The region of West Africa, one of the great slave trading regions of the continent, before, during, and after the white man arrived. Did you hear that? Before, during, and after the white man arrived. It was the Africans who enslaved their fellow Africans, selling some of those slaves to Europeans or to the Arabs, that would be the Muslims, and keeping others for themselves. Do you know that Arabs still have, Muslims still have slaves today? Even at the peak of the Atlantic slave trade, Africans retained more slaves for themselves than they sent to the Western Hemisphere. They just sent their surplus over here. Arabs were the leading slave raiders in East Africa, ranging, ranging over an area larger than all of Europe. This is all from Thomas, this last paragraph from Thomas Sowell's work. He's researched all this. He, he's got books on this. Go read, go read something. Don't pay attention to the, the TV. So he says, Elder says, I asked my friend if his anger over slavery extended to countries like Brazil. Brazil, he said. What's up with Brazil? So Elder says, Harvard's Department of Africa and African American Studies, Professor Henry Louis Gates, you remember him? He, got, he, he was in the Beer Summit, remember him? Who also happens to be black. Between, Gates says between 1525 and 1866, almost 300 years, in the entire history of the slave trade to the New World, according to the Transatlantic Slave Trade Database, 12.5 million Africans were shipped to the New World. Got that? The New World. That's Europe was the Old World. 10.7 million survived the dreaded Middle Passage. That's the Ocean Passage. Disembarking in North America, the Caribbean, and South America. And how many of those 10.7 million Africans were shipped directly to North America? Only about 388,000. Now that doesn't make it right. But that's not 10.7 million. Where do they, where'd the rest of those folks go? That's right. Overwhelming percentage of African slaves were shipped directly to the Caribbean and South America. Brazil received 4.86 million Africans alone. Why don't American blacks, why, why don't you hear this talk, this uproar all over the world? What's up with racism in Brazil? What's up with racism in the Caribbean? What's up with racism all over South America? What's up? African tribes who captured other tribes sold them into slavery. For this reason, in 2006, Ghana, G-H-A-N-A, offered an official apology. In other words, some of their people captured other tribes and sold them. Emmanuel Hagen, Director of Research and Statistics at Ghana's Ministry of Tourism and Diaspora Relations, that means people are scattered all over the place, he explains, the reason why we wanted to do some formal thing is that we want, even if it's just for the surface of it, for the cosmetics of it, to be seen to be saying sorry 
to those who feel very strongly and who we believe have dis distorted history because they get the impression that it was people here who just took them and sold them. It's something we have to look straight in the face and try to address because it exists. So we will want to we want to try to say something. We want we we want to say something went wrong. People made mistakes, but we are sorry for whatever happened. So here we are, many centuries later, right? How do you know what really went on? College students talk as if they were back there and they lived through it. This guy's he's all over the place. He's probably English isn't his first language. He was kind of all over the place verbally or, you know, grammatically. But he's trying to say, hey, we know something went down here, but we weren't a part of it. And it was bad, but we were sorry it happened, right? We're not sure what happened. People made mistakes. In other words, when people capture people and sell people, that is a mistake. That's a bad idea. Over 600,000 Americans, Elder says, in a country with less than 10% of today's population. Okay, so let's say that America has 325 million right now. Right? So what's that, 325,000? Or no, it would, be, it would be more than that. So uh, it's 10%. Check it out. Oh, shoot, my computer jumped. Over six, think of this now. Over 600,000 Americans in a country with, at that time during slavery with less than 10% of what we have now, okay? So say there's uh, 325 million. Now there, there was probably 30 million, right? Of that 30 million people, it says actually less than 10%. So let's say... Let's say 300 million now, so it's 30 million then, right? It says less than 10% of today's population, so that's less than 30 million. Of that less than 30 million, 600,000 Americans died in the Civil War to end slavery. Now, how can we, how can we get, a, get our mind around that? I don't know what the population of America was in the 1960s. Or let's say the world. Was it five million five billion? So America lost fifty four thousand in Vietnam, right? I don't know how many we lost in World War Two. I don't have that figure in front of me. A couple hundred thousand. Six hundred thousand were died in a country with less than thirty million people at that time. To end slavery. And Sowell says, I'm quoting Thomas Sowell, who is black. He says, while slavery was common to all civilizations, if you read the Bible, you can tell in the New Testament that was written for people that was a couple thousand years ago, right? Our, 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 our calendar is based upon Jesus' death. So you can read about slavery even in the New Testament and in the Old Testament. So while slavery was common to all civilizations, only one civilization developed a moral revulsion against it very late in its history. And he said that was Western civilization. 
Not even the leading moralists in other civilizations rejected slavery at all. Now, if you want to read about it, pretty interesting is you can read about a guy named Wil William Wilberforce. I have a book on William Wilberforce. Very interesting. For 25 years, he spent, you know, he was like one of these long-serving politicians. And uh, he served in the British Parliament for 25 years. He spent all of his life fighting slavery. Now, i got to stop here for a second because I want to make one more comment about the plumbing doctor and my friend Ted Holmes. If you've got a, you know, Cal Water Service is always wanting to sell me an insurance policy in case my water line breaks coming from their meter to my house. They want me to pay a couple dollars a month. But I'm not going to do it because I know my friend Ted Holmes can come over there and fix that for me in a hot second. And uh, he'll charge me something. But I would, I'm, I want to pay him more than I want to pay Cal Water because he goes out and spends his money helping people on, on the mission field. And helping people like parolees. And I, I always kid him. I said, Ted, I can't even go to work for you if I wanted to. Even if I was young enough to help you out. Because i got to have a couple felonies because you never help a guy that's got a basically a clean record so Ted is a great guy and is always wanting to help somebody when I think they're gonna put him on the fast track getting into heaven when he, if he ever has a heart attack man that dude has done some good work out there He's been following Jesus for over 40 years but Ted runs a plumbing doctor and uh, if you ever need them, you can call them at 530-671-9111. And they'll come over in the middle of the night and fix your problem. 530-671-9111. And uh, he saved me a lot of money. He came in here and he, one of his guys said, Lou, you got all these. We got, I have two toilets in my house, right? And he said, Lou, these toilets are ancient you got in your house. He said, they use all this water. And I said, okay, that's, the, that's a bad word in Marysville, water, because it costs a fortune, right? Like you could buy, you could buy uh, the Indians oh, in our community drink Royal Crown. That's cheaper than drinking Marysville water, Royal Crown. And I said, he said, we can cut your water bill on those toilets by two-thirds, dude. So I said, you got yourself a deal. Pull those toilets, right? Put in a hot water heater. One day I got up and I thought, hey, how come this water is not getting hot like it's supposed to? Had to get a hot water. You know, I got an old house. Stuff happens. Lines break. Stuff happens. But, you know, it's just life. Just don't get discouraged. Just fix stuff. Put some money aside. If you need to, like, get a new knee, fix your shoulder, get a tune-up on your head, you know, get your teeth fixed, fix your plumbing. Just Get some money and set it aside, and when you get it, just get a new set. Get a new one. I told old Robert Burke, he put a new shoulder in for me after he did it. He said, how's that shoulder working? And I says, better than from the factory, dude. You're unbelievable. So you can call Ted, and he'll fix your plumbing problem. I don't, I don't think he'll fix your shoulder or do a many mental health tune-ups, but he'll fix everything else. 530-671-9111. He just got back from both Cuba 
And then he got back from Cuba after down there working with the team for a couple of weeks and took off and took a big team of people to uh, Colonia Guerrero, almost down to San Quentin, down in the Baja, five hours below the border, working on a project down there for a, for a big orphanage and medical clinic. So that's Ted. He's a good man. 671-9111. If you've got a plumbing problem, you can't fix it. You gave it a shot. And you just said, oh, I can't fix this. I need, I need somebody to just fix this. I'm going to go out to dinner, take my wife to a movie, and have somebody fix this for me. That's what I'm about. That's what I got money for. I just like, I hire people. I got all kinds of professionals. Fix my body, fix my car, fix my house. Counsel me, tune me up, send me on my way. That's what it's all about. Spend that money. You can't take it with you. So uh, sorry for the kind of stumbling start today. I was having problems with this microphone and headset this morning. Now it sounds good, and I've just got to finish. i got to quit for a week. So thanks for listening. Uh, if you, uh, let's see, if I left anything out. Yeah, if you want to help us, you can always, if you want to, if you want to advertise with me on this show, like I do for these other guys, you can. You want to spend a little money, get the word out a little bit for your business. If not, that's cool. You want to contribute to the cause. I had a lady the other day send me a couple hundred dollars to, to help pay for some of this cost of getting on the air and staying on the air and doing all the editing. So thank you so much. All you know that have helped me, uh, that's appreciated. If you, if you ever don't feel under any obligation to help, under pressure, if you don't have enough money, keep your money. We'll make this happen. God will help me. So uh, if, if but this week, try to focus on being present wherever you are. I'm trying to focus on being present. Instead of thinking about the next thing I got to do, I'm going to be present and, and be on top of what I'm supposed to be doing and taking care of business and paying attention to people that are around me. They might need my help. So if you run into somebody that's new, be kind to them because they might be an angel and, and uh, want, want to interact with you and you just never met them before. So hook up. All right, we'll see you next week, and we'll do our 22nd show. Can hardly believe it. Seemed like we started yesterday. Thanks for listening. We certainly hope you all enjoy the show, and remember people that no matter who you